Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Everybody, welcome to this edition of the Once Bitten podcast, introducing Nolan Borrell. I was put in touch with Nolan via Alex from Bitcoin Magazine. So big shout out, McShane. Thank you very much. Uh, he's got his own YouTube show thing, daily podcast, uh, Bitcoin education and life education show channel going on. So go check it out. It's full of great stuff. And I think you're going to be, you know, kind of mesmerized by his enthusiasm for bitcoin and some of um and some of the thoughts that he's coming at it from so i hope you enjoy the rip thank you so much for coming on nolan now make sure you are stacking sats everybody we go through this at the beginning of each show but now there is better services offered to you from the same companies let's talk about private service you can use a private service a white glove service if you are looking to spend more than a hundred thousand euros or dollars on a bitcoin purchase over the next 12 months or if you are a high net worth individual or if you are a small to medium sized enterprise that is looking to add bitcoin to your balance sheet you can do this on both sides of the pond now you can do it in the us with swanbitcoin.com and you can also do it on this side of the pond with relay relay have launched a private service for businesses as well that is going to be a dedicated service you will have a person by the name of benjamin to speak to directly about the best way to get you onboarded so that's all across europe and the us you are covered and you can just stack with both of these services in the case of relay just stack download the app and you're stacking within one minute with any one of your usual payment card methods or whatever it is it couldn't be quicker you can also use Coin Corner to set up a merchant account if you want to start offering people the option to pay with Bitcoin, but still have that Bitcoin hit your account and immediately be converted into euros or pounds. So you're not holding it on your balance sheet. These things are all possible. There's no excuse at the moment for you not to be stacking. If you want KYC free sats, you can get to hodlhodl.com. Use the link in the show notes, guys, for all of these companies because you will get commission breaks. HodlHodl are a global peer-to-peer trading platform, which means you can trade any fiat currencies. If you're lucky enough to find them in your in your local uh, currency, then change out of fiat and into Bitcoin. Consider coin joining if you've already got a stack. Perhaps leave that stack as it is, but any new Bitcoin that you're trying try out a coin join service there are several available at the moment the easiest one i found to use is wasabiwallet.io and they are supporters of this show you can go back and listen to max hillebrand my interview with him but you've got to then take complete control and get yourself a hardware wallet or a signing device you can use the bitbox 02 bitcoin only edition and get your friends to do that as well please next time you go to a meetup make sure Everybody there is self-custody. Don't just assume people are self-custodying their Bitcoin. Please ram it down their throats. 
the Bitbox 02 is a perfect way to do that. Enjoy this rip with Nolan, and don't forget to check out the Orange Pill app. All right, Nolan, how you doing, brother? Nice to nice to meet. Uh, I love life. I'm enthusiastic. You you certainly are. I had to stop you pre-record because you were spilling so much great stuff, and I just want to get it all down. Um, so <laughs> let, let, let let's get straight to that. What why don't we why don't we start with uh, what why don't you let the plebs know who you are on this side of the pond? Even though like fifty percent of the listeners, listenership still comes from North America. Yeah, for, for I'm, this uh, side no of the Bowerly. pond. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm Nolan Bowerly. Um, I'm, I'm a Canadian Bitcoiner. Uh, when we hit the year 2023, it'll be 10 years since I fully moved my life over to uh, Bitcoin, really, since I took Bitcoin into my heart and uh, helped it guide my, my life. Um, these days, I work with Bitcoin Magazine, and I run a daily morning show called The Breakup. And in this show, really, what we try and do is just use contrast as a way to understand imminent hyper-Bitcoinization. So uh, what I mean by that is the clown world itself is the contrast. And <clears throat> I use, you know, we're talking about numbers and all that, but it's not math. I'm not in that Keynesian school. I'm fully in the Austrian school in that I'm talking about psychological engines and the inability for the US dollar to be used as an engine to envision or even populate uh, an idea of the future and bitcoin makes thinking about the future so easy and so simple you know that that's why everyone falls back to the bitcoin fixes this meme because it just lends itself to being able to have some sort of an equilibrium on your idea of the future and i actually wrote a science fiction story uh, called the satoshi wedding murders all about a future where we're living on the bitcoin standard and how we actually live with ai in this story and we all have these eyeballs which are ai balls and really the goal of the eyeball is just to help you navigate your time for money market and the only market which exists in the world in this future is bitcoin for time and and that's it it's just a straight up one for one market and um your ai is there basically there is no material want or or any one of those kinds of needs in that future world. The AI will help you get the Bitcoin you need. And so as, as someone from your side of the pond, you'll understand this. Of course, royals hold laws in confidence, let's say, right? That's the point of the royal family. We don't have to write it down. Their moral, um, human education, civility, cultivation is enough to negotiate uh, the troubles of change and turmoil and all that. So in this world, what happens is a lot of Bitcoin liquidity actually ends up with these royals who are counts now, they're all counts. And what they do is they keep the liquidity required for a time market in whatever place, like London's time market is, is the result of enough rich people wanting to attract attention and attract people to their city to get the economy running. So people like going there because, you know, the, the time is cheap and you can get a lot of things and you can make a lot of money and you can have a lot of experiences. So my story is basically it's a, a, a Satoshi wedding, which is when royal families come together. And as part of it, you get a moment of privacy in order to join your wallets, right? And your eyeball is not around. And in this future world, there's only about like 10 murders a year. And every one of them is almost like just a superhero arrives. And then the eyeballs will subpoena all information. And that's how the news travels, basically, is that everyone has an eyeball and can just sell what they eyewitnessed. And then they're able to make a career out of just seeing cool shit and sharing it or doing cool shit and sharing it. 
so in this future, uh, you, you, you go to this wedding, it's a big wedding, everyone's paying attention, the doors open up and they're dead and the eyeballs weren't there to record. They weren't around because it's they're joining wallets, right? And so uh, they don't actually remember how to solve murders in this time. It's all just like, they're just so used to subpoenaing information. A little bit like what we have in our surveillance state today, right? The police don't actually remember how to do their job. They'll just uh, deputize the uh, banking system or the legal system to do their jobs for us. And they're trying to deputize Bitcoin uh, industry. So I, I actually come from that world where I got into Bitcoin was doing this kind of stuff. I was working for the Senate Banking Committee in Canada. And I studied the meltdown with Mark Carney. He was our, uh, you know, he oh was our banker goodness. at the time. Okay. Yeah, he hell. statutorily had to come and and report to the committee I worked on a couple of times a year. And um, what ended up happening was in 2012, I studied FATF. You know that ridiculous thing that runs FinTrack and FinCEN and your Department of uh, Superintendent of Financial Services or whatever the hell they call it in uh, England. Um, so, and 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 by the way. The, the reason why we gave up Hong Kong as a common law jurisdiction, right? We just traded it. We just said the the the, the pretense for uh, extradition of people to mainland China was the money laundering and terrorism financing uh, regime that said extradition from Hong Kong to mainland China is what is required, which is what the governor of Hong Kong, Carrie Lam, continuously cited as the reason why they wanted to have the extradition to mainland China ergo the 2019 protests when China was head of FATF. So when I was working in, I was coming from the political world in Canada, and what we were looking at in the Senate Banking Committee was, um, so our federalism in Canada is almost exactly copied from the United States, except for banking, except for banking. And the reason is when Canada was created uh, after the American Civil War, England was like, we can't deal with those crazy Americans. Like, we're not going to fight them again. There's no part three to this fight. Like, they're on their own and they're psycho. Like, you're on your own Canada as well. We're not building you shit, right? Like, you're done. And so it looked like all the north-south infrastructure was going to come and, and take over Canada. Basically, rail lines from Chicago and everything would just go and extract everything. So the people in Canada who were living along the St. Lawrence, Toronto, to Montreal realized they needed to get to Vancouver. And the only way to do it with England cutting them off was to finance it federally and make the banks basically the uh, main driver. So the committee that I work for was is literally the reason why the country was created. It was this banking committee that was used to take over the slack of English banking leaving Canada in the 1860s post-U.S. Uh, Civil War. Mm -hmm. And um, so this committee was looking at all of these things. And banking was copied from the United States, uh, or was the opposite of the United States, not a state thing in order to pay for this. So what we saw was FATF entering Canada and forcing everyone to do the compliance stuff, all the, the Bin Laden, 9-11, all that same deputization, got a tattletale on everyone, all that stuff. But the co-ops, the state banks were still uh, run by the, the provinces. And politically, them complaining to us saying, look, we can't corporatize our compliance. We can't send it all to the main office the nature of our charters mean we have to hire a local compliance officer. So this was 2012. And I said, well, this is politically very good, right? Like someone from Paris telling our little farm banks what to do. We got a, we got a winner here, right? So I, I did what I did. Like you put a committee together, you try to generate headlines. We got everyone furious, liberals and conservatives 
about what was going on because they were not prosecuting anyone. It's, it's also useless, right? So not only did we give up Hong Kong, we gave it up for nothing. They don't do anything. They don't catch anyone, right? They, like literally their whole plan is the $10,000 thing. That's the limit of their imagination. The whole regime is this $10,000 thing you sign when you're on every flight. So <clears throat> we did the study and uh, ripped it apart. We had a mandate to destroy it. it we could have destroyed it. I don't know how it didn't get destroyed at the time, but it was in that study that I learned about Bitcoin. And in 2013, I got the Senate to do a major study. We got Andreas Antonopoulos. We got everyone who flew them in. And it was the first, yeah, that, so that was me. That was my job at the Holy time. Holy shit. Right? And, uh, and um, so I did the witness list. I, I understood what was going on. And I managed to help get the study created in a way that um, didn't look at the criminality first or anything like that. Like we were just looking at what, what it could mean. And at the time, I was traveling between Toronto and Montreal. Uh, sorry, Toronto and Ottawa, which is our capital. Um, I was, I'm from Montreal, so I was around all the original Blockstream folks who would be coming in and out, and I would learn a lot from them. But I was also around Vitalik and all those guys because I was started working out of Decentral when I was working on this report. It was them that helped me use the Opraturn script when we published in Parliament we also had the Senate pass uh, the lines, Satoshi's invention deserves a light regulatory touch, which was in block 36,000, whatever. Still to this day, it's pretty pretty nice touch. And we yeah. even said it during the speech and it got picked up by media and all that. And I quit my job basically right there and uh, was working a little bit when Vitalik was still writing for Bitcoin Magazine or was still the, the creator of Bitcoin Magazine or whatever. Um, this is when the, the yellow paper was coming out and all that stuff. Um, but it was also the time when Barry Silbert bought Coindesk. So I started working with Ryan Selkis and Pete Rizzo and the early Coindesk team. And then I helped build Consensus, the event. So I worked with Coindesk. I did all the fake news interviews for years about Bitcoin and crypto. I would go on Fox and the number up, number down hack. I just did all those stories every every day. But it was fun. You know, this was... Uh, the last cycle, I guess, and it was pretty fun to go on on the news in 2017 and 2018, and and I'm I'm very proud of my uh, mainstream fake news headline tracker. I have one of the coolest headlines you can imagine at the top of the 2018 market, where uh, you know everyone wanted to talk about ICOs, and and Fortune magazine actually covered me straight. They said you know Bitcoin is the alpha and the omega. And I said, the only other story that I thought that was interesting in 2017 was the crypto kitties. And in the end, my prediction was correct, of course, because it anticipated that whole group of artists and, uh, and you know, creators that I could see coming. It was not because I thought the tech was good. I just saw people when Pepe started, I saw the human capital, real professionals starting to work in that field. And my model has always been, once you see the human capital peel over, that's the next thing Bitcoin is going to influence. And so far, the model was, you know, it, it was cryptographers, and then we saw the Wall Street people, the non-sentimental people, and then the artists, and now it's the energy folks, right? We see them coming over, and we're going to take over that industry, too. It's going to be great, you know? It's going to be wonderful. Absolutely. And then I worked at Kraken as well. I was at Kraken for a little while. I worked on their proof of reserves and their banking bill, because I am trained as a lawyer, so it wasn't just um, events that I found an interest in. It, it also was the, the legal stuff and that whole concept of bailment and how you hold Bitcoin and what a Bitcoin bank is and defining a Bitcoin bank's business model, right? What do they do? 
Um, so I was there when Kraken first got the license and helped put together the argument for and the initial work on the proof of reserve stuff. I mean, other people there did it, but my job was the sort of year zero, year one plan for the bank. And that's what my focus was on. It was on, you know, the idea that one day the US dollar exchange rate for Bitcoin isn't the most important data point. Um, and, and that's how Coindesk made its whole business, right? Coindesk made its business by owning the original Bitcoin price, which forced everyone to cite Coindesk's name when they wanted to cite the price. So it was very easy to use us in a sentence for the mainstream media. And that was very deliberate and by design, right? The Bitcoin price is blah, according to blah, Coindesk. And then they had to just, we were five people <laughs> just <laughs> trying to get stuff out, right? So um, it sort of fluffed up our... Uh, uh, profile. And my idea for a bank is the same way. If you're in a Bitcoin bank, actually, in the end, the only thing that matters, and this was exactly how I said it two years ago, um, the only thing that matters is how much Bitcoin you have. And the only thing that matters after that is if you can broadcast that in a way that's that's legitimate and builds confidence in folks. Now, how to hold it, right? That was an, an important thing too, because the Kraken system of holding an embailment legally doesn't mean anything, like they could still go bust, whatever, but you're just at least, you know, you're above the cleaning people uh, when it comes to being a creditor, right? You're not, you're not mm -hmm. below the janitors they've hired <laughs> and the contracts they have to catering, right? Mate. All right. I, loads of touch points that I'm, I'm going to come back to and talk to you about. First of all, Lauren has just uh, entered the room. She's going to ask, uh, she's going to ask a question of you. Uh, come around this side. Well, you're closer to the microphone. This is Nolan. Hi. Hi, Lauren. Good. He said hi. Not yes. you. Uh, <laughs> oh, you did. Great. Is your earphone in now? Yep. yep. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, I heard that you have like a YouTube channel, or like started a YouTube channel. Why did you start a YouTube channel? Ah, well, um, I'd say one of the things that's holding uh, Bitcoin back and the old money um, present is it's it's a psychological thing. And um, there's certain things, particularly American people are patriotic about. One of them is the dollar. And there's certain things we have to let go in order to um, um, change reality i guess you could say right so much is ordered around the us dollar right now and it's a disadvantage that americans have compared to say folks in china or argentina we saw argentina winning the whole world cup i did my show this morning on uh messy argentina uh and bitcoin is the cleanup basically their history is just one of these institutions so i, I did the old uh, jason lowry i do a lot of whiteboards you know uh, basically, all of their rule of law institutions have just failed, and uh, despite all of their uh, strong abilities and things like that, so uh, they're sort of first in line and and can tell the difference. So I started the YouTube show really just to have a place for people to talk about the psychological aspects and how much anxiety is in the world and how Bitcoin can actually remove a lot of the anxiety. So it's a it's a mental health thing. Yeah? We're just trying to be happy every morning and not get rolled by all of the bad news. So that's why, you know. That sounds good. It sounds much better than watching TikTok. It, it, it does. But um, has that... Do you do any TikToks? 
<laughs> I've tried a couple shorts. I'm going to do more of them, but the TikTok software itself, I refuse to put on my uh, on my device. Now there's an band from America shortly. Yeah, there's an interesting reason. TikTok anymore? Oh, so addicted. I used to go on it like five hours. Nolan's going to tell you why TikTok is bad. Yeah, it's it's um it's not the data security that, that that's the kind of stuff I talk about on my show or influence persuasion all, all those kinds of things when when you're being lied to basically and and there's subtle ways you're being lied to and one of the ways you're lied to about TikTok is when anyone makes an issue about TikTok and data security in China it doesn't matter that that's like a minor point right the problem with it is you can actually direct people's attention to whatever you feel like directing them to so you don't see much stuff on TikTok um, well, just compare what the children in China get for TikTok versus the children in America or in the UK. The children in China only get uh, math and science, and the children in the United States get whatever they feel like. And we don't even know if it's really what they feel like. There, there's no way to tell. So um, the, if you were going to design a brainwashing tool, it would be TikTok. It's not, it wouldn't be like TikTok. It would be, it would be TikTok. <laughs> exactly. Mm -hmm. And uh, that makes it really powerful. And it's already been used, I think, multiple times. Uh, so, you know, uh, other other forms, probably a little safer, right? Because at least then you, 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 you don't have the contrast. But yeah, dangerous tool. What is it I tell you? Stop watching that rubbish. It's going to fry your brain. Oh, yeah. But yeah. like... Yeah, it's like cooking and stuff. It's not that stuff. So you're watching some cooking videos and things. Yeah, okay, that that's not so bad. But it's the uh, it's the other stuff that they just randomly put in your feed that you end up watching that you would never have watched before. As if like if you go onto YouTube and you like you know show me how to bake cookies or best ten cookie baking recipes and you can choose just purely cookie baking recipes. They still might try and backdoor some stuff in there, but it, it's way less aggressive than yeah. TikTok. Yeah. Anyway, one of the trickiest ways TikTok can do the brainwashing thing is by association. So if you see something you like, and then you see something else you like, and then you see something else you like, you're primed to like the next thing you see. And you can start using association to camouflage things that are no good. So it's very easy for one of those apps to talk about cooking, for example. Here's all kinds of nice cookies. We know you like healthy things. And then all of a sudden they're putting the seed oils in and they're pushing seed oils on you in video number four or five. And they've got you making canola oil cookies. You don't want to eat canola oil cookies, mm, I promise. No. You know, my kids can eat butter cookies at their leisure, right? Nice, healthy butter cookies. Canola oil cookies, we don't want anything to do with them. Yeah, we we mostly well before like when we were in school, there was this thing called gute. It's basically kids come back from school, and then they have like a snack, and they like cookies. Ouais. Je parle français. <laughs> Je comprends très bien le goûter. Yeah. Ouais. So yeah, we used to have like a lot, uh, like like a a cookie per day, but now we don't really have that anymore. Uh, no, unless they are homemade cookies. Unless they're homemade cookies. Mummy mm -hmm. made scratch homemade mince pies. She made mm -hmm. the 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 pastries, uh, the pastry from scratch and the mince meat from scratch. Or the or the, yeah, or the, the, the fruit the mix. Fruit, it's not yeah. meat. It's not tea, but like, <laughs> mince pies, mince meat, same thing. Yes. Anyways, yep. Yeah. Bye. Thank you. See ya. Yeah. See ya.
All right, mate. Uh, thank let, you, man. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, she, she's asked the, the first question on almost 300 shows so far. Uh, so, Wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Over the last yeah, almost three years we've been doing this. Um, okay. Oh, you, you, you hit me with a ton of information there on the open... Open. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I, I did the whole. I did the whole spiel. <laughs> and there's so much to uh, to go back on. Where shall I start this? Where's the most natural place? Where's what's the? I think what we were talking about before the show. The um the plebs are really going to be interested in in hearing about, especially now you've given us a little bit about your background. You know, trained as a lawyer, uh, and worked very very close to. You know, the Senate Bank Committee, I think, is is what you you said, if I'm getting the right name here. Um, yeah. But what you were explaining to me before we hit record was this idea of how you're trying to, um, I don't want to put words in your mouth. What were your tax arbitration? No, it's, it's just a tax strategy. There's, tax there's strategy. nothing else to it besides a tax strategy, yeah. Okay. So um, as a Canadian and one who was made a terrorist and mm -hmm. generally um, just growing up in Quebec the way I did, you know, not, uh, not to be a victim, not trying to sound like anything like that, but I did grow up as a minority, right? As an English Quebecer. So love Quebec, not trying to talk about the deal that I got or anything like that, right? Um, but I saw the influence of ambitious politicians very early when you had Quebec separatists and you had all the very direct ill effects on my city. My city where I grew up, Montreal, paid the price for other people's political ambitions and political infighting and all of that ego-based, pure fiat stuff, right? <laughs> a bunch of credentialists going at each other to add a new set of credentials to a country that was already full of credentials. And so everyone was fighting about it. And in the end, the people that just got ignored were these English Quebecers. So I grew up already with a distaste. The reason I even had that spot on the Senate committee and was working for them in the first place was because I went to law school in Laval, Laval University, which is like the oldest, other than Harvard, the oldest college on the continent. And um, it was in, it's in Quebec City. And you can think of Quebec almost as a mirror of Texas is to the United States in the sense that they're both subnational, but the state flag is more popular than the federal flag. They think of themselves as countries. Um, they have the most amazing energy infrastructure in the world, right? And, and Quebec's energy infrastructure makes them in the same way as Texas. It doesn't really matter what they do. They're still fine, right? They're always going to be fine and they'll always be rich. So everything else is just a sport, right? It's all sports to them. Like everything else is just a hobby. Even to this day, Quebec is doing just fine, right? It's it's sort of a, a great place to, to live and, and, and all that. But um, the reason I got that Senate spot was because just like Texas, it's the inverse. Like Austin, the capital of Texas is a liberal capital in a conservative state. In the case of Quebec, it's a liberal state, but the capital city is very conservative. And so what happened was I was a law student there and we won the political thing. And the reason we won was because the federal government was caught paying off the separatists to be quiet and, and spending tax money. And it caused a, a near total destruction of the country trying to pay off the separatists. It was called the sponsorship scandal. Anyway, it doesn't matter what happened. 
what it means is um, it honed me into being very interested in limiting state power. And that's why I was even involved in politics in the first. That's how I got to that sentence. It would be like being a um, Democrat in 08 who, if Obama won, but they were from Texas, just because of the federal nature of stuff, you get to jump up in the order of executive power, let's say, right? So we were distributed in like secretary of state places and very high places because we just jumped to the end of the line. And and that's how I was even able to be on that Senate committee. But what it taught me right away and where I'm always coming from is this whole thing is a scam, that the idea of Canada, a big confederation, and we're going to do our best and everyone's in it and we're all working together and patriotism was completely lost on, on us. So we're kind of like American people in our spirit, right? We've got the same enthusiasm, the same uh, optimism, but we don't have the same pride of the institutions that won the war and all that shit, right? Especially English Quebecers. We don't really care. Like Canada abandoned us, you know what I mean? Didn't really care. To this day, you can't get served in English in Quebec. And again, I speak perfect French and I, I would prefer the Quebec deal. I'm now a total separatist. Like I'm fine with decentralizing Canada. I have nothing to do with, I mean, I love the people in Alberta and all these places, but why do we have to be in a country together? <laughs> like this, it doesn't work. It's stupid, right? What we've all done to each other as neighbors in Canada doesn't work. So my tax strategy became quickly, don't give them any money. And what I ended up doing is I, I have been living in the United States for a few years uh, and once you start paying taxes in the United States, it's not easy to get out, right? Once you start paying U.S. taxes, you're a U.S. tax resident. So even though I'm not a citizen and don't want to be a citizen, I've worked on work visas, but nevertheless, it creates a tax liability when you do work in the United States. So uh, I got to pay that one anyway. So what I did was I moved to Vermont. I bought a house in Vermont and I have a place in Quebec and I just never spend the 183 days in Quebec but I'm just over the border in Vermont. So I never really come that close. Uh, and what I'm able to do is I can turn Vermont into more or less a tax-free state as well, because I never spend 183 days in the state of Vermont because I go back to Quebec. And then, and then because it's also cold in general here in the winter, I just leave for the winter, right? I just do a nomad thing with my children and my wife and all that stuff. And we homeschool. And so, you know, we just beat it. My kids are American. That's the other reason why I do it is because you know, here's the thing in Quebec, homeschooling, not as easy. It's a very statist situation. <laughs> you got to beg forgiveness. You got to do their curriculum in Vermont. There's nobody here. They don't give a shit, right? They're like the actual system here in Vermont for homeschooling is tell us what you're going to teach them this year. And then they do one interview at the end of the year. And if they, if they can handle what you said you were going to do, you're good. And you've only got to do that up into a certain age. And then that's over. So you know, Vermont has all the great things about the United States. It's the best gun state in the in the state in the United States. Did you know that? Even though it's so liberal, the the everyone has a, an implied concealed carry license. It's still the only state where I can just go to Walmart and just buy whatever I feel like and just walk out with it. Like anything, like nothing. The only rules they have here in Vermont are who sells the guns. They have to have a record check. That's it. That's it. The the dealer of the gun has to not be a criminal. Other than that, you're good. I'm okay with that, you know. And by the way, I am totally for all. I'm, I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little more on the uh, anarcho-capitalist, free market stuff. But as far as gun control, I'm for Democrats not having any guns anymore in America. If they want the gun control stuff, they can have it for them. 
right? So they, they could, they could, so I'm pro gun control of the people who want it. They can have it, right? Just like I'm pro UBI for the people who want it. If you want it, you go right ahead. It's yours. You know, you go live that life. You know, <laughs> it's okay with me. So you also mentioned Bahamas. You throw the Bahamas in there as oh, well. Oh, Barbados. No. Barbados, excuse me. Barbados, yeah. <clears throat> Barbados at the start of COVID. So I was in New York City for COVID. Mm -hmm. I'm patient zero. I, I, I should mention that as well. I, I am huh? patient zero. Yeah, I'm patient zero. Yeah, <laughs> not really. <laughs> uh, I um, uh, but but I might be. Uh, so <laughs> I went to Barcelona, and I was there for case number one. Right, and I had you know it got crazy. If you remember how crazy Barcelona got, so I got yep. the hell out of Barcelona right when it started, and I got to Paris for case number one, and then. I was in one of those flights coming out of Paris back to New York and I got to New York for case number one and case number one happened to be in my office building as well. So we don't know. Wow. <laughs> it could be. <laughs> I'm a super spreader. Uh, um, <laughs> uh, but I got back in that, in that, you know, 2020 situation in New York, uh, made it to the summer and then came to Canada um to get away from all the border stuff and and da, 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 da. but then they started with the um like you couldn't even buy uh non-essential items in a normal pharmacy like they, they would police tape off toys so you couldn't buy yep. your kids toys if they were in the pharmacy same here once i saw that stuff yeah i was like i'm mm -hmm. not sticking around for this either so then i went down to barbados because i said no matter what no matter what down there uh it's gonna be warm they're not going to be able to mess with me. They're, even if there's rules, I can probably break them, no problem. And they hadn't really made any border controls yet. And you could still arrive there without quarantining and all that stuff. So I just literally, on a whim, we were going to go to Guadeloupe, the French uh, island, so the kids can learn some French. Uh, but then they stopped, France closed down and mm -hmm. canceled my flight and all that stuff. So I could have gone to Paris and then in, but I wasn't. I wasn't going to do it. So Barbados was open. So, and I'd been there before and really loved it actually, right? It's, it's a, it's a place where the locals can eat in the same restaurants and the people serving you can also eat in the restaurant. It's not all tourism. Um, it just seemed like a place that reminded me of New England, right? I live in New England and, and even where I live in Quebec is very New Englandy. It's not, it's not like the rest of Canada. It's not like Southern Ontario, which is more like a, a New York state or an Ohio or a Michigan or a Midwest situation where I, where I'm from on the border of Vermont is very new England. And so Barbados was very familiar to me and they have no cap gains tax. They have, uh, they created a deal because they knew they were going to lose out on tourism. So they created this great, uh, visa for people called the welcome stamp. And all it is, is I think $3,000 for a family or something like that. You got to be able to prove you make fifty thousand a year, um, and then three thousand dollars for your family, and you live by their tax regime, which is no cap gains, no income, uh, all those things. So, um, I just patched those together, right? I just did a little few months in Barbados, never hit the six months in a U.S. state, never hit the six months in Canada. So I spend, you know, I, almost nine months in North America, and have whittled it down, even though I spend it in tax heavy places i've been able to whittle it down to uh u.s federal tax bill which covers me for the other you know tax treaties and, and all that stuff so uh, and i believe it'll be an actual 
uh, hedge that Canadians are going to start using. I think this whole border area of Quebec, it's not like Ontario. Ontario only has the water borders in Niagara Falls, Detroit, big bridges and stuff, right? Or even at West, there's not really much going on. But Quebec, um, I'm literally on the 45th parallel, which is where the border was created. And my, my neighbor, two houses down, he can mine Bitcoin using Hydro-Quebec because half his house is actually in Canada. Like his kitchen is in Canada. Yeah. Right? There's a <laughs> bunch of houses that are like that, like a bunch, right? Wow. I could buy a like a commercial normal extension cable and get Hydro-Quebec utility and into my house, right? Uh, so right on the border. And of course, just predicting going forward, you know, Vermont and Quebec are the only two parts, a little bit, a, a few other places in New England, a little bit out West, are the only two parts left with non-industrial based farming at scale. So mm -hmm. you'll find a couple heirloom farms all over for sure. I'm not saying it's the only part of the country without heirloom farms, but the land was never good enough to create the industrial farming in the first place. So we don't have much industrial farming up here. It's still just little 10 acre farms with a couple of cows in a valley and um, and then in Quebec's case, because they really understand food security because of their vulnerable northern position, have secretly and heavily subsidized, not with direct cash, but through protectionist policies, uh, have uh, kept any competition out. A lot like the French have you know, definitely insulated their domestic uh, agriculture from foreign influences, a lot like Japan as well. So Quebec is isolated from the other trends in North America. Like we didn't get bamboozled by the big strawberries coming out of California. And then we just shut down our strawberry, <laughs> you know, growing in greenhouses. So Quebec has still a lot of, and with the electricity, the hydroponic industry in Quebec is very strong. A lot of tomatoes, a lot of that stuff. You don't have to have uh, stuff imported all the time. And here in this part of New England, very similar. I can get my steaks from the guy down the road and I get my dairy from the other one. And I do a lot of cross-border arbitrage between different farms that I like. You know, I like the dairy. I like the the poultry in Canada better than the, you know, in Vermont. But it's all local farms and, and I get to get the cheese from that guy and, and all that. So a lot of gentlemen farmers. So all that to say, it's the future here, right? We're, we're already living the way it's going to be. And, and so that's another reason why I anticipate so many more people coming because everything Bitcoiners want is here and the shit we can't deal with, um, you know, uh, um, uh, taking control of energy grids currently, all that is still open to be done because we have normal, modern availability of Tesla power walls and whatever we need, right? Air, you know, uh, off-grid living is a little more accessible here. People are used to doing it. So um, I, I anticipate I bought a bunch of land here. Easy to get land on the Quebec side. I'm already starting to talk to people like Koreans. And, you know, I lived in Japan and South Korea, both countries for quite a while. Mm -hmm. um, I can speak a pretty decent, you know, 200 words of Korean. I can <laughs> read and write it. And uh, I was in Japan when Bitcoin was created. I have a, I have a hilarious Japanese Bitcoin stories. Um <clears throat> But I'm already talking to a lot of Koreans and Japanese people about this scheme mm -hmm. where you if you did a six month uh, work and travel visa in one country and had like a little, you know, Japanese restaurant on one ski border town and on another ski border town, and you would never have to trouble yourself with taxes and all that kind of stuff. You could just sort of roll through 
and not really move around because that that's what I didn't want to do with my kids is move around to three countries but they don't it's it's one place two countries but one place and that's not really available anywhere else uh in the country on the continent right mexico maybe i guess but uh who wants to live on that border <laughs> right like oh, that's not this, easy to grow <laughs> this border is great it's just you know but it is amazing to see even the uh the difference you know you see quebec and and you know i'm definitely not a socialist absolutely not but you can see what uh, just a little bit of forethought and a little bit of education and a little bit of defense against the psyops can do for you uh canada and quebec not inundated with so much manipulation and all that and the physical differences now are really apparent right uh, new england having lost so much vitality the demographics so bad compared to the rest of the country uh, old never really got a refresh group of anyone from elsewhere in the world coming here they're like a source of net migration to the rest of the united states so very unhealthy place so but ripe for a new generation of people that want this arbitraging strategy to come in and so i continue to predict i'm going to be starting up a uh here's the thing i'm going to be doing in the next my theory mm -hmm. for the end of world war three right and bitcoin winning right World War II ends symbolically in America anyway with the construction of the Eisenhower uh, uh, highway system, right? The whole Eisenhower auto route system that we have. That 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 was our, you know, that was the big the big civil in, in you know, the Marshall Plan was for everyone else in the world. Uh, what America got at the end of the World War was this highway system around the country, which still exists to this day. It's still called the Eisenhower Network. Here's what we're going to do. Um, my My flash that I had living in New York City for COVID was the following. About a third of the city, about one third, is going to be moved over to electric bikes and tricycles and golf carts and, and all and not side of the road shit. I mean the whole road for the delivery people, mm. for the the people on these electric small scale vehicles, right? Not mm. not Tesla shit. Like stuff you could make yourself. Stuff you could rig yourself or that we see everywhere right now. Basically what's in Shanghai already. Right. If, if you've been to Shanghai in the past whatever years, you've seen the electric bikes at every stop sign. But this would segregate the cars from the electric bikes. So about a third of New York City, because they're not going to be able to fix the subway, then there's no new transport coming, right? They can't fit more cars. There's one solution. It's not bike lanes. It is complete and total takeover of infrastructure in the city for electric bikes. So, but then, you know, move out one extra level i think these electric things are going to take over we don't have the same rush 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 uh oh my boss is going to be after me i'm not at work at nine o'clock the commute stuff that's all going away right especially with bitcoiners and and our uh time preference shifting consumer culture and all those things so in the end what america will be i think is going to be like a holland there's all kinds of new infrastructure coming all not side of the road stuff real bike lane stuff and these things will take like 50 parts to get going, right? You can change them. You can have bespoke industry. You can have a cottage industry of ones that look like old Porsches and a lot of style coming to these things. And that's what people are basically going to do. You're going to come to America and you're going to go see all these natural parks and you're going to travel around in a little electric bike. And the reason I think all that is because where I bought this farm, I can now make it to New York City without ever seeing a road. I can cross roads, but I can take a path all the way from here and I'm at the border. And now, just a little bit ahead of me in Canada, I can also take a path 
never side of the road, all the way to Montreal. So there is a about 20 mile link missing for you to be able to go never side of the road on an electric bike from Montreal all the way to New York City. And so here's the Bitcoin angle. And this is where the Eisenhower thing comes in. I think you can prove political voluntarianism with a kind of network like this, because you don't really need to have a standard track. You're not, it's not the Autobahn. Mm -hmm. It's not an engineering marvel, right? It's anything will do crushed stone, dirt path. I don't give a shit. And what you could start doing is just asking for voluntary Bitcoin tolls along the way. Then you pay if you want. You don't have to pay. It doesn't matter. You want to give a service. You want to sell hot dogs. You want to sell water on the track. Sure. At the end of your day, pay some to the track for allowing this to be there. What you end up getting the ability to do is collateralize the cash flow of donations in Bitcoin to extend the track and start paying for more. And because you don't need a standard track, any entrepreneur can say, yeah, yeah, yeah I need like $10,000 and drive it here. Now they're motivated to sell stuff at the end of that road and to offer services. And why else would you want to go there? And why wouldn't you want to go there? And right, you, you got to give a reason. But I imagine we can actually start creating a real engine that pushes this track everywhere using Bitcoin. And in the end, in the same way that, that uh, coming together thing happened and created the 1950s golden era, which was really about getting in your car, burning fucking gas, seeing someone in a bikini or vice versa with a leather jacket and a cool guy or whatever, right? But having a good time in a car on all this new stuff getting built. And I think it's going to be pretty similar. Our kids are going to be rocking and rolling with little vehicles that like dudes can make themselves to impress <laughs> girls, right? Or whatever girls do, whoever's impressing whoever, right? Um, you can actually have creativity in a cottage industry and this stuff again, because it's not hard, right? The complexity of the vehicle. I mean, I, I'm supposed to be in Toronto right now. I'm supposed to be even off the farm. You know why I can't leave? My stupid fucking car broke. Guess what happens all the time, right? Cars are the worst, <laughs> they don't work and i'm a real pleb i drive because i've been through a couple runs now i i can i can i you know i i splurged i've got an 05 land cruiser prado which is called alexis in america we don't get the a prado but an 05 you know, but i mean you know what am i supposed to say and then to avoid all the covid quarantine shit i bought uh a 08 toyota solara convertible uh when i was in miami to drive across the border i flew my kids to new york and drove and picked them up so that I could cross the Canadian border without getting tossed. You know, they were tossing people into quarantine hotels in Canada if you went in the flights. So I couldn't fly my family, right? Otherwise, we would get... Yeah. So you could just go quarantine, right? If you cross this same land border that I'm describing right now, right? Mm -hmm. You just cross it on land, and then you're good, right? So, um, so I think we are going to prove voluntarianism, that it works and we can do it, that you can build real tangible stuff not by forcing people to give you money, not by some bright idea that compels anyone, nothing like that. I think Bitcoiners will just come together and anyone will come together and build this network, physical network, in order for everyone in the world to come. That, that's the future of America. The future of America is not the manufacturing hub. Unfortunately, we're not going to create that many jobs. Manufacturing coming back, robots and Mexico, right? It's not, there's no jobs coming on that. Some, but not a lot. The future of America is to be basically like Japan is today, how you can take a bike all around Japan. It's so civilized and beautiful and nice and everything has been well thought out and it's awesome, except it's in America and the scale is there and you've got the electric bikes and you can legitimately come to my town and in a week 
maybe a week and a half, you're in Florida. You, know, you can go 200, 300 miles a day on these things, right? 30 kilometers an hour. Of course, mm-hmm. you've got, got 10 hours in you, no problem, right? Um, so I think that's going to happen. You're just going to get so many people coming here and they're going to ride on the Nakamoto Trail, all paid for by volunteerism. You you're know? calling it the Nakamoto Trail. I was going to ask you what you're going to call it. Yeah, it's the Nakamoto Trail for sure. Yeah, it's the Nakamoto Trail. Well, I, I, I was going to throw in a different, a different suggestion. Let me have it. The B21. The B21. <laughs> It could work. Yeah, the B21. It could work. It could work. It could work. It could work. But it's going to happen is what I'm saying. We're, we are actually going to create infrastructure. In the end, I'm so optimistic that I think you're going to be able to take this bike lane from Alaska to Argentina safely. Safely. I think you're going to be able to road trip from Alaska to Argentina safely. I, I, you know, it's, it's, it's what people are going to do. It's going to be like a total thing. You know, you can just go right down the coast. But Nolan, who will build the roads? Hmm. Oh, oh that, so that's what I mean. No, no, no. So it's voluntarism. I, remember, I know, yeah, I, know I know, I know, I know. It, but that's the classic statist kind of fallback, isn't it? Who will build the roads if we don't pay our taxes? It's, it's, Any entrepreneur in this case. Absolutely. That's what I'm hoping for. Anyone who has some dumb thing he wants to sell you at the end of the road. Mm-hmm. All right, anyone. Anyone, someone who's got a, a catfish hole, catfish river, and he wants you to get over there and eat his disgusting <laughs> fish. <laughs> that person can do. I don't care, right? All right. Uh, Let, let's ask some proof questions. of work. That's how the money is distributed. Proof of work. You build the trail, you get the money. Yeah. It could also be called the uh, the POW highway or something like that, right? In fact, it's going to have every 100 miles is going to have a different name, right? Of, of I think so. Yeah. Uh, Right, Senate Bank Committee. Let's go back. Let's wind it because that's that's a huge one, and Mark Carney as well. I mean, the guy that ended up becoming you know head of the uh, the Bank of England. I've predicted he will become the greatest financial loser of all time. I oh, believe wow. it's possible. Right. Let's yeah, I it. believe he will be recognized as the greatest financial loser ever. Um, and I came up with this epiphany when he compelled before they even declared martial law on the Canadians and the Bitcoin donors during the trucker thing, he was out there encouraging it. He said, I got an idea for you guys. This is great. Let's just get them, right? You got the answers, go get them. And I wish he would actually run. I I wish he would take over for Trudeau and run at this point. That would be great. Um, So what did he gather? It was $150 trillion at COPA 27 that they announced allocated to his fund to save the world, right? In England, this was 2021. They gave him 150 trillion, they said, right? And then quickly it was down to 120. And now ESG is dead, right? ESG is it's not, it's not going anywhere. Right. It's been called out for the scam that it is. Here's how you know ESG is dead. You've got Warren Buffett, who arguably is the most famous investor in American history. He says it's a scam. You got Jamie Dimon the other day, most famous banker, let's say, right? He says it's a scam. You've got Elon Musk, most famous entrepreneur. What did he call it? Devil something? Like it's terrible, right? Terrible. And then you got the most famous scammer in the world, SBF. I mean, that's that's the holy four people, the scammer, the banker, uh-huh. the entrepreneur, and the investor all agree. And so, BlackRock. BlackRock. And BlackRock. <laughs> BlackRock already last year and Larry Fink in the letter. But it was always it was always just an excuse to put that financial layer in, right? It was it was basically to counter Warren Buffett's advice of just buying the index, don't kill yourself, right? There's only so many assets. Your chances of getting the right asset 
are far greater than getting the right advisor, right? There are millions of advisors and there's a handful of assets. You have, <laughs> it's not even close, right? So ESG was always created, as far as I can tell, in order to justify the wealth managers of the world and, and all that stuff. So, uh, you know, the, the Carney thing, he just picked the wrong horse. He basically, when he was retiring from the, you know, there's no other jobs for a person like that, right? You do two central banks and the Bank of International Settlements. Where does he go? No one else will have him. So he got those into the public thing. He, yeah, he wrote that ridiculous book, Values with the S, you know, Values with the S in parentheses. It's absurd. So, um, you know, I even got the pleasure. I want to hear the, the thing I got the pleasure of doing. So I had a dialogue with him after um, uh, after the Senate and he moved to England and then I wanted to get him to speak at some Coindesk events because that's what I did with Coindesk. I did a lot of the public facing stuff, but I also did the programming for the events. That was one of my main jobs. And, um, you know, I, I, I had him on the line a few times to come speak at Consensus. It wasn't a done deal, but he was interested, right? Maybe, 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 maybe. If you remember in England, he was about to give a blockchain speech on the day where a Brexit person was uh, assassinated. If you remember all of that stuff, there was some kind of thing that happened in 2017, 2018, something like that, where one of the Brexit people was assassinated. There was and, a lady politician shot. I remember yeah, that. I don't remember Baby. the details. All, all I know is he was supposed to give a big blockchain speech on it that day. Right? Oh, okay. And and um, uh, anyway, neither here nor there. So when this book Values came out, uh, I saw the publication day. It was the same day as Consensus, a virtual version that Coindesk did in 2021. Right. So his whole thing was about prescribing the finances of the future and this and that. So I was like, hey. You got the biggest blockchain conference in the world the day your book's coming out, you know, come on. And uh, he said, you know, it just doesn't fit in my marketing plans. Guess what I got to do? Guess what I got to do to Mark Carney? Have fun staying poor. No. You can have fun staying poor. <laughs> How can you not? What the fuck are you talking about? You're trying to push a book on the future and you got a captive audience of whatever we had, you know, we, I mean, it's a big audience at Coindesk, right? Especially in 2021 at the height of the market. So I actually got to have fun staying for the guy. I got to do it. You know, how can you not? It was just like, all right, are you sure you don't want a free audience on the day of your book coming out? That's probably bigger than any stupid audience your book publishers can come up with, right? Like, okay, go on CNBC. Sure. You know, great time. Um, so here's, here's how he can become the the biggest financial loser. The 150 trillion went down to 120. It's now almost forgotten at COPA this year. So how many other people have lost $150 trillion that were once allocated to them? I mean, once very proudly allocated to him. They all promised it, right? Now, you can say, oh, the promises don't mean anything. Uh, we know that. We know that. But it's good to point out that their promises mean nothing and that they can go out and say that I once had $150 trillion allocated to me. Where is it? <laughs> Where did it go, buddy? <laughs> Where's the money? You know what I mean? So um, when he did that, I actually did the research. You know, I did the research when he wrote the letter to Canada. And I, I did a video for Bitcoin Magazine. I did it on my show that day. I said, well, what, what did Soros pay to break the Bank of England? What did it cost him? Right. So I, did, I looked through it. Right. This is what it was. It was a $10 billion short 
against $45 billion in reserves that the Bank of England had. We don't know exactly who else came in on the $10 billion short. Others did, for sure. He wasn't alone. Right? He, led, he led a movement. All 45 billion were exhausted in the day and they raised interest rates 500 basis points, 5%, 5%, right? So I was so annoyed with Mark Carney and his bullshit when he said, go and, and use the banking sector on these people. And I, I mean, I, I lived in Canada. I worked in the Senate Banking Committee. I know the weak points. I know what's going on in the federal, uh, in the central bank. Tiff Macklem lives on the other side of this border, the current guy. Right. He he lives in this town on the other side where I'm from as well. Right. They, they all live there for some reason. Um, so uh, I knew they had sold all the gold in Canada. Mm-hmm. And do you know how much money they have in the bank? They got a nice forty five billion dollars, just like England had in 1991. <laughs> so I did the math. I said, what's it going to cost us to knock this motherfucker out? Right. What would it cost us to break this fucking bank today as Bitcoiners? What would it cost us to do it today? What does the punch cost? It's $10 billion. Now, I don't think we're in a position to do it today. But if we're out there looking for a country to show punch power, if we need a heavyweight warm-up fight, because everyone needs a If we're going to be the world heavyweight champion, and I, psychologically, that's where it's headed, right? The, the failure of clown world means a big responsibility is coming our way. And we've got to prove ourselves in every way we can. And you've got to be... You've got to be known as the alpha predator, right? That that we're not we're not we're not making that up for no reason. It's not because it sounds cool. It's got to be that. Otherwise, it's not sharp enough. It's not it's not the hard money you want, right? <clears throat> so at a certain point, we need warm up fights, and I can't think of a better <laughs> country to knock out, right? Just pff, because it's the, the they went with policy. You know, in Europe, they listened. They thought they could make the teenage girl happy with their energy policy. And it sounds like she's still unhappy and they have shit energy, right? So the teenage girl, they didn't make her happy. They did their best. They tried everything to make her happy. Didn't happen. Canada, they don't even have that guidance. It's all just random virtue signaling. That's why I say the country barely deserves to exist. Mm-hmm. What we've done to Alberta as, a, as neighbors, as supposed states that are working together, is an atrocity. If Alberta had one port, they would have split this country in two years ago. There's no, the only reason why it still exists is because they have no access to water and have to ask like beggars, their neighbors, and their neighbors treat them like shit year after year after year after year. So, and, and it's not getting any better. Like, you know, we learn a case in, in law school in Canada about the shit deal Quebec gave New- Newfoundland about energy, you know, we make all these jokes, like in France, they make the jokes about the Belgians and in America, they make them about the Canadians and, you know, all that stuff. Right. So I don't know what you guys do in England, but, you know, I'm sure the, the mm-hmm. Manx people, I guess. Right. Dumb people. So um, in Canada, they make the jokes about the Newfies. The sad part is the, the, the reason that really became popular is because they signed the stupidest energy deal you've ever heard in your life with Quebec. They signed a deal that froze 1967 prices for one of the largest dams on the planet, one of the largest energy creating infrastructures on earth, the Churchill Falls Dam, is shared by both Newfoundland and Quebec. But those dumb people gave a deal from the 1960s and froze it. So the reason we learn about it in law school is because they tried to pass a law that said every law passed on that day doesn't work. You know, they tried a million ways to get out of it. And so we learn about, you know, this stuff. 
But really, I asked myself in Quebec, these are our fucking neighbors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, how are we proud of what? How are we laughing about what we did to these people? This is a little rock with 300,000 people on it. And Quebec is a real country. Uh, and, I, and I'm happy to think of it as a country. And I do think of it as eight or nine million people. It's like a Sweden, right? So you got a Sweden out there laughing about their dumb neighbors who sold them something years ago for an idiot price and still laughing about it. Like it's ha 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 ha. It's not a country. It's a fucking scam. Right, sorry if I'm swearing too much in the show. No, please go. Um, so, you know, that, that problem itself um, brought me to that conclusion about Canada and and why these things are going to happen. Because what I said about the federalism, they created a banana republic in the banking sector, right? Politically, it's screwed up or whatever, but at least there's fights and we have real dialogue. And in some ways, Canada was even ahead of the curve in global politics in the sense that we um, we anticipated Trumpism and some, you know, we had Rob Ford, the crack uh, mayor, that that was a, a that that was exactly like a, a Donald Trump situation. It was like, all right, you guys are calling everyone Hitler. All right, here you go, take this guy. You know, enough, <laughs> take that, right? And we're not even going to argue with you anymore. Just take the worst thing we can think of, right? Um, and then deal with it. So um, Canada was was already ahead on some of these issues, and and because of that, we have as much division as exists in the United States not in Quebec and other places, but just because Quebec is different, but they have as much division in Canada as they do in the United States, but they don't have the things that can keep it together like the United States has. So I do predict in 20 years, let's say, um, the thing that you see in the United States right now is the states themselves waking up and becoming powerful and understanding what the true deal of federalism is and allowing for cross-state arbitrage which Bitcoiners get immediately. That's why Bitcoiners are going to the U.S. states themselves that are so interesting. Like, that's what we did at Kraken, right? We targeted, it was very deliberate. It was not like, oh, Wyoming's nice. No, (laughs) they have a history of being accessible to new ideas and and all that stuff. So um, it was used very deliberately because every state is equal, right? They have the same uh, envelope of powers. And if you can get them to exercise them, then that's great. I, I, I'm in Vermont. I think we're going to take the state over. I think we're going to get, I think Bitcoiners are going to get Bernie Sanders seat when it's up, right? They're, they're going to find a way. You had Bruce Fenton in the state next to me who did pretty well, right? Bruce Fenton, a Bitcoiner running in New Hampshire. You're going to see more and more of this. And these little states, we're going to pick them off one by one. And if you saw what's happening in Texas, for example, did you see Texas passed that whole thing where they can not pass, but suggested a whole thing where you can, um, they they suggested holding Bitcoin on the balance sheet, but also importantly, not just tax incentives for using some flare over, you know, extra excess capacity energy and you turn it into Bitcoin. No, no, no. They said, if you use Bitcoin to finance growth of the grid, right? If you put Bitcoin into energy finance, um, you're going to get a tax break. Now imagine what that means, right? Because that, to me, that is the the path to hyperbitcoinization is this simple. You can you can see what happened in Europe, who, where power lies in the world, right? When that Nord Stream thing blew up in Europe, something, who cares who did it for a second? It doesn't matter. Forget about all that. One thing we know for sure is U.S. energy companies backstopped it. They said they gave permission. They gave permission, right? Because if they didn't ask U.S. energy companies and they just blew up the pipeline, whoever it was. 
you're not just going to let Europe go into that kind of uncertainty about its energy without someone saying, no, we can handle that, right? So in so many ways, U.S. energy um, companies dictate what goes on in the world. And all we need to do as Bitcoiners is make U.S. energy companies richer, <laughs> as, as ridiculous as that sounds, make them richer. And that puts us literally on top of the most important energy consequences, decisions the world will make in order to make this Bitcoin future. And you can see it already, right? You've got um, the, the BRICS countries trying to get together to create the alternative market for oil using whatever shitcoin they try to come up with, but it ain't going to fly, right? The yuan isn't going to make it. Brazil's fucked. Russia's in trouble. None of the, the rupee now is settling oil in Sri Lanka, who is the most degenerate country in the world today based on the decay. It's, it's just a little ahead of other countries, right? They had to cancel school last year because they had no paper, no fertilizer, no government, um, complete uh, washout. They're going to be using Indian rupee now to settle oil contracts. So th there is there is no second coin coming to compete against the dollar. It's either the dollar or you do your best, but your best ain't going to be good enough. So they're going to have to latch on something else. There's only one that's going to work. And so in the end, the U.S. gave away the monopoly on the energy markets because the energy companies told them they could. In the end, the energy companies are going to want it back. And they don't really give a shit if it's still funding the war machine, especially if we see the war machine doesn't work. And that's what we're going to find out, right? The tanks don't work. We're going to see an aircraft carrier melt into the sea with all the F-35s on the deck. It's just going to it's just going to be gone. Right? We're going to we're going to see that in the next couple of years. It's going to it's going to happen before our eyes. They can't compete against the drones. There's no way. If you saw what the drones did to the tanks in Ukraine, multiply that by 100. These stupid aircraft carriers are the most useless thing we've ever built now in this environment. They used to be everything. They were the actual vehicle of World War Two. And that, you know, that's the frame I use in my show. Basically, we never shut the World War II machine off. We just kept running everything, right? We were supposed to, the deal was when World War II is over, and I think it's going to go back to the JFK and the LBJs, because when World War II is over, Eisenhower, who built this network of highways that we're going to emulate with the Nakamoto network, Eisenhower deliberately made Americans into consumers. He used Edward Bernays, who was... Freud's nephew, who invented the idea of public relations as him getting away from the word propaganda. Now, this is not an evil guy, necessarily. The deal was obvious. Eisenhower wanted to demilitarize. And the only way he could do that with the threat in the world being what it was is if the American consumer capacity stayed what it was. So they decided to make Americans into consumer. There. This was a conscious decision, right? Americans will be consumers will use the financial system to make sure they are consumers and the machine can be turned on and off for war as needed, right? But we can demilitarize. The point was to demilitarize. That's why he warns about the industrial war machine when he leaves office because he wasn't getting his end of the deal. He was supposed to give us the psychology. The trade was make us consumers, which isn't that bad, even though they knew what they were doing, but it would be enough protection to get us through the era that we were in. In the end, they trade it. They never shut the engine down. They keep it running hot. They keep everything running hot. And when Kennedy is elected because under false pretenses, he's elected under the missile gap, saying we need to spend more money on missiles, right? We need to do more. Um, and, and that's why Eisenhower even gave the speech in the first place, because he knew 
that his framing of politics and what was important, he knew Russia was not a threat. He knew that America could kick the shit out of them in two seconds and that there was no such thing as a Cold War. There was no need for us to even worry about it, not for one second. We could have squashed them, whatever they had going. I mean, just, just think of America after World War II. The whole world is on its knees. Every, no one can compete. No one is coming near them. They didn't lose anything. They was, you know, World War II. It was one winter. They went over and kicked everyone's ass, right? <laughs> like everything was soft by the time they arrived. It was not this big, you know, Japan was more complicated, way more complicated than what happened in Europe. But the rest of the European countries were done. I mean, Russia was not getting up for another fight. They were finished. Toast, toast. And America didn't need to do what it did afterwards, but people convinced Americans to do it. And how did that happen, right? Well, they took the power out of the presidency. They created all of these new systems. And in the end, they kept Americans consumers. They kept the war machine running. And here we are. So we got to turn it off, right? And the aircraft carriers, that means turning off the F-35s. There's still going to be space war and rockets and none of that stuff's going anywhere. But the, but the stuff on Earth, the drones have completely changed the logic of violence and completely changed the battlefield parameters. And that means the cost now. It doesn't matter if you destroy 100 of these drones. They're $25. They're mm -hmm. 25 bucks. <laughs> like The F-35, did you see that shitty one trying to land the other day? No. Oh, it's, it's it's a spectacle, man. This thing tries to hover, you know, because it can hover land, but it looks like my car that I couldn't use to get to Toronto today. It must the dashboard must be lit up everywhere. It starts sputtering in the air, nose dives. The guy ejects when he's on the ground, but the ejection isn't high enough for the uh <laughs> the um <clears throat> the shoot. What do you call it? The the shoot to work. So he just flies up, the chute goes, but he hits the ground hard. It's a comedy of errors, right? It's a comedy of errors. It's ridiculous. And we're going to see something similar, right? I'm predicting it. We're going to, I've been predicting it for a year. I predicted before Russia even went in, I said, good luck guys, because Ukraine's fighting back now. And the cost of fighting back is so cheap. You can go check, you know, YouTube, Bitcoin magazine last January, where I'm telling everyone they're, they're going to, Russia's going to get their ass kicked. Like it's going to be a disaster. It's going to be a disaster because you can't fight with these types of weapons against the new stuff. You can't beat the video game guys and you can't beat what drones bring to the equation. And that means we're headed back to a kind of warlord type situation, right? Anyone can create these armies and anyone can create these uh, systems and, and you're going to see more of them, but they at least balance the playing field, right? It, it's a bit like the reinvention of gunpowder in a sense. And it, mm -hmm. it, you know, the, the tanks were no match for these things. And you see every day, whenever you see propaganda coming on Twitter for the Ukraine war, it's always from a drone laughing at the stupid people below, unaware of what's about to hit them and ha ha ha, right? Um, you're gonna see, as I said, one of those F-35s just slide off the deck, finished, finished. And what that does for the dollar, it, it, it's the same as going on in England now, right? They got to relaunch your pound with this new guy's face on it. Mm -hmm. And it's like launching a new coin. It's a coin project, right? Because the, all the history is out the door. None of it matters anymore. None of it matters. Everything that happened before is garbage with everything that went on since COVID and the printing and the new policies and the new strategies. Everything before is useless. All of it. So they have a new coin and they're going to have to pump this guy's face and they have to get enthusiasm around it, right? It'll be the same when the F-35s fall into the water. It's going to look the same. It's going to look as ridiculous. So 
that's where we're headed, man. And I saw just the other day an infographic on Twitter, the amount of money that has flowed into the Ukraine, which is, this is what's crazy, right? If a drone's 25 bucks, why has $53 billion left America into the Ukraine? And why has 50 billion euro left Europe into the Ukraine? Why has $100 billion landed in that country to help defend them in their war effort against the uh, the, the, the intrusion of uh, the invaders of Russia if a drone is 25 bucks? Like, nothing well, makes so sense. Th- well, that, that's why I call my show The Breakup, right? right. Because it, it really is about it's hard for people to understand what they're actually giving up with this dollar thing. It's a whole world. It's a worldview. Mm-hmm. And it's things they love. There's a lot of things you loved, a lot of sense of order in the world that has to go with it. And that's what Americans have a little bit of hard time doing because the whole message after World War II was it was because of your patriotism. You are the land of the free. Mm-hmm. It's almost like America won World War II, but Americans lost. America won, but the Americans, they're the worst... They came out the worst in the whole deal. They got to be consumers. They got that, but they didn't get anything else. Right now, some Americans are not Amer- life in America. Of course, not trying to be like a person saying, "Oh, woe is us" and all that stuff. But I'm sorry if you look at the health indices of these people, you mm-hmm. look at the weight, you look at all this stuff. The dignity is gone. These are just consumers. Now, there's tons of exceptions. Love American spirit. Love America. Right. Love it. Warts and all. I love it. Um, but the people did not really come out on top. The country did, certain people did, companies did, all kinds of people did, but the individuals of all the places in the world after World War II, in the end, who comes out worse, right? I mean, Europe got the whole build paid for. They got the whole thing rebuilt. Korea got the whole thing rebuilt. Japan got the whole thing rebuilt. China got everything it ever wanted its entire history, right? Access to global markets without having to fight your way out of your... Uh, from your neighbors who would block you otherwise, right? You just got the whole thing that you ever wanted for free. You just take it. It's okay. Don't worry about it. It's the whole Peter Zeehan worldview that because America is the superpower at sea and just wanted everyone to get along more or less, as long as the oil could flow for US dollars and you were okay with that. Um, and, and you were okay with making sure you were playing the game of keeping your currency lower and the American currency higher so you could continue to keep them consuming and buy their debt so they could consume more and buy more of your shit, right? When I lived in Korea and Japan as a in my early 20s, that, that's the thing pre-Bitcoin that shocked me was the young people who traded Forex as a normal, that's what you do with your pay. Yep. Because they have to. They knew their government was fucking them over every week or month or whatever, right? It was it was known for a long time. I continue to believe Satoshi Nakamoto used the Japanese pseudonym in order to have the authority to say that from my point of view, America, you're about to experience what we experienced. That's coming for you now. And the game is different because you're the you're the only real money in the world. There is no other fiat. All fiat is just relative to the dollar. There, there's nothing else, right? And you know, that's a line I use on my show very often that um, just like the metric system um, is based on the quality of water and the properties of water are what allow us to create the measurement system itself. I mean, the zero and the hundred are just the arbitrary numbers assigned to the uh, points at which it boils and melts and, and freezes. 
and then volume comes from that and distance comes from water volume at that temperature at that time and all that stuff um you know to, to explain what bitcoin is to people and what fiat is to people who don't know you know because th those early years in bitcoin when i when i had the senate study and we brought andreas antonopoulos i mean that literally during his testimony was like that's what i'm going to do with the rest you know with my life right but he's already got this whole market covered and you know that's how i got in touch with barry silbert and and was like a wall street guy who went and sold bitcoin in the early days just in boardrooms and and explained it to them not like here buy bitcoin at the end of it yeah but on my own that's exactly what i did i would go around the world and i would go to not bitcoin conferences and i would do the intro to bitcoin and then i would spend a month in that city or whatever and and you know get them to sign up and get bitcoin and they had to pay me in bitcoin to complete the contract and so um you know i i, I always went around sort of uh trying that uh, evangelical um, stance. And, and what I learned was this water thing worked well, because what I would say is, look, this is what the US dollar is. Imagine we created the metric system, right? Imagine we created the metric system, but then all of a sudden we started fucking with zero and a hundred, right? We said, ah, you know, the properties of water changed. Mm -hmm. It boils at 10 degrees now, right? And, and, it, and, it, and it freezes at minus 15. It's different, it's, it's different now, right? what it would do cascading to our ability to navigate psychologically the whole space, it, it, would, it would screw it all up. Whereas Bitcoin is just that, right? We can count it, therefore, whatever number there is, is the right number. It's just that we can count it that makes it useful. Literally just that we can count it allows us to use it in the way that money is supposed to be used. Because now we can understand incentives, we understand what's going on, and we take away that whole financialization, what that did, right? When I, when I really try to press the difference, especially I love this FTX and SBF stuff. I love it, right? I saw it coming from a mile away, a mile away, right? And what I love about it, what I love about it is um, that whole world of Wall Street to me is folks saying, okay, you need a Series 7 license and it'll be a Wall Street trader just to save money, right? So life is already complex enough, right? But wait a minute, we're going to add one more layer. Now you trading motherfuckers have to add computer science to your skill set. So now you got to get a computer science degree and a series sevens. You got to understand all this financialization stuff. Go, right, go, right? <laughs> go, go do your life. Of course, with Bitcoin, it's the opposite, right? We literally want the best and brightest to not go and do that kind of shit and become series seven license holders and computer scientists. We want to stop that. We don't want any of that shit. We don't want any of the FTX, more of that stuff. We want the best and brightest to make chairs and like, you know, run a farm <laughs> because it's a healthier society. As people will always go, as we know, they'll always go to the profession that pays the most. The best and brightest will go to the profession that pays the most. And that's what we did to ourselves. We sent our best and brightest for a whole generation to the most useful and in useless industry there is. There's nothing mm -hmm. more useless. Now I love speculation and you got to have ways to financialize and and fund ideas and you know so I'm not a I'm not anti all of that stuff a little bit of degen this and that right I get it you have an idea you want to raise money it doesn't bug me right, at all um but what they did over there was they hyper specialized and they forced everyone into such an extreme case that they had to get used to basically building the metric system with the denominators 
that just change all the time. Imagine doing math with denominators that are not constant ever. And to me, that that's what allows, you know, you can even get into the Jungian psychology, right? What's the first piece of Jungian psychology? It's encounter, counting. It's just counting, right? If we can't count as a society, we actually can't get rid of our shadow, right? Um, I booked Whitfield Diffie uh, for a show, and he's the guy who invented public key cryptography, right? He's the first uh, engineer uh, to, he, he separated the keys. He had acid and you know, had a... Wow, you know, <laughs> um, he never went to school for this. He met uh, Martin Hellman, who was a Stanford PhD and was close to this, so they did it together. Uh, but they gave the credentials to Whit Diffie. Whit Diffie, who grew up, who was Donald Trump's neighbor, actually growing up, uh, believe it or not. Wow. So Whit Diffie, um, um, every invention in cryptography until Whit Diffie came from the middle, almost everyone. It was like one in like the 1400s, like a civilian innovation in cryptography. All of them were from military and uh, state uses, right? State secret keeping uses. That's where cryptography all came from. Um, and that's why when the Turing thing happened and and uh, the Bletchley, uh, you know, all that stuff in England and the machine and the Enigma and the Nazis and, and this and that, that's why cryptography was made illegal after World War II because suddenly they understood, right, the original computers computed cryptographic algorithms right that that's what they did they were computers not word processors computers to deal with the big numbers that came from cryptography and when with diffie um uh, invented public key cryptography in the late 70s it was the first time it had been done not within the world of the state he did it published it so that it was out there and we all understood what was being done right and and couldn't take it back right so every year he does a show called The Cryptographers, which is a major conference in LA. And he's one of the last, he every year is the last person to speak. They bring out uh, uh, Rivest, Shamir, all these guys you'll hear about. So I was trained as a lawyer. Um, um, when I got involved in that 2013 period, uh, and, and when I was with the Senate Banking Committee and I heard Andreas, my blind spot was cryptography. So I learned as much as I could and read a bunch of books and became not an expert, but uh, I know my way around, right? Um, so not a cryptographer, but I understand the math and, and know a little bit about what, what's going on. So they have this conference and all these big names are there. And one year when they were asking about Bitcoin, one of the other guys said, oh, these Bitcoiners, you know, oh my goodness. Um, if they choose, if they just choose, right? They can be revolutionary cypherpunks or they can be the, the global financial standard. They can't have it both ways, right? And um, this fella, um, Whitfield Diffie, comes in and says, whoa, 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 whoa. The United States, its whole history has oscillated between revolutionary force and imperial power. It never had to choose. It is both at the same time. It's its, it's ego and its shadow, and it oscillates between the two. And Bitcoin is that, right? Bitcoin is not democracy. It's not just, it's not safe, right? It's not all puppy dogs and ice cream. It's a better world, but it has a, a non-debatable quality about it. And it is an imperial force at the same time as it's a revolutionary force. It has two, um, like anything in this world, right? If you get into the hermetic faith and you get into ancient um um religions that you know that there is no opposite it's just a continuum 
And so Bitcoin is a revolutionary force and an imperial power simultaneously. And um, in order for us to even, like America, get over that piece and, and deal with our shadow and deal with both sides and have it turn over in a healthy way, because it's got to turn over in a healthy way on an individual level and on a societal level, Bitcoin allows that to happen, right? Because you can, you, you can count, you, you can't hide it, right? In, in normal psychology, that's what we've done as a society here with the US dollar and fiat. We've repressed all of the terrible dark parts of the society we've created around the dollar. And that's why you get things like Ukraine, right? What we're gonna find out there is that I think these are major crime families. I think Glenn Greenwald and Julian Assange's entire worldview that they underlined was going on, that there was no war at all that we really needed to care about in Afghanistan. This was a money laundering operation from day one. And what happened when that money laundering operation was shut down? Another one started up. And that's that's the Glenn Greenwald worldview. That's the Julian Assange worldview. That's the worldview that has him um, stuck in embassies without any trial and all that, right? That's the story that he is telling. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying uh, I have proof it's true. <laughs> I'm just saying at this point, it's hard to deny that it's consistent and it doesn't explain what we see in front of us. But if you read the Hunter Biden laptop, indexed public safe to everyone, this is not a little crime family and we think there's some stuff going on. This is a major crime family, like a major crime family, right? Now, I haven't, I might be wrong. I just haven't heard the other side of the story. It could be different, right? All stories change when you hear the other side. So it could be different. But whatever's going on there talks to what you're speaking about. The money makes no sense. None of it makes sense. And it only makes sense when you put this layer on that Assange and Glenn Greenwald and the others have been talking about for years now. Without that frame, it does look like a complete, makes no sense. Where do, where, where's all the money going? Yeah. Oh, man, it's so strange. And um, have you ever come across Matthew Eret's work, a fellow Canadian? You guys, no, I, I don't think you guys would stop talking. Uh, he's, um, he's written a series of books called uh, America, the Unfinished Symphony. Um, I've done a podcast with him. Kayvan Devani, I think, has done three. Uh, and I've heard him on one other. I can't remember who else. Um, very interesting guy and Canadian and talks about uh, how after the, um, the revolutionary wars in the US, uh, the, um, like the Anglo section, the, the Remainers, the Remainers, if you like, those that uh, never accepted separation. The loyalists. The loyalists. Just quietly moved to Canada and carried on with their uh, kind of uh, playbook, which spilled back down into America. And he makes a case that there never actually truly has been a revolution. And it's all been steered by the invisible hands that stayed behind. Um, and we're very, still very close to the Anglican order. It's mind-blowing stuff. And he, he talks about, back in those days, it wasn't the Eisenhower Highway. It wasn't the Nakamoto or the B-21, but it was, it was the railways, uh, if you remember. 
the, the transcontinental railways. Um, so what you're talking about all ties in to exactly the, the, the same kind of conversation I've had with him and reading his work as well. Yeah. That's what I love about Bitcoiners, man. Like they they get lost. We're gonna win. A rabbit We're hole. gonna win. We're and gonna they, win. They pull all of the threads together from this tangled web of God knows what and, and come up with at least some kind of plausible answers, which is um why this space is just so intellectually stimulating. You can't stop learning about it. Uh, I got a few more questions. You've mentioned some big names, which I'm not going to let you get away with, uh, without you know spilling some some beans or spilling the tea, as uh, as the kids now say. Uh, Barry Silbert, Vitalik, Kraken, consensus. That that these are big, flagrant topics in our space right now. Um, you know, consensus are, are very much considered kind of the the shitcoiny centralized disgusting bring on all the crypto vc bros into a big room and let's fund all of these shitcoin projects at the same time vitalik we all know barry silbert for those guys that don't know is the uh the gbtc guy um and um what's the name of the the overall holding group dcg dcg dcg, DCG yeah which stands for digital currency group Currency group, right, okay. Digital currency group. And GBTC so, have come under a, a lot of scrutiny recently. Bitcoin is basically thinking they're, they're going to go bankrupt. Uh, Kraken, obviously, under the microscope after FTX going down, and Kraken now being very much thought of as a shitcoin casino as well because, you know, they're not Bitcoin only. Mm-hmm. What, what little insights can you give us here? You know, can you circle all of this? Yeah. So at at Coindesk, in the original days, I was there for the debates about even adding the Ethereum price to our website, right? We were, we were, I guess you could say we lost a whole cycle of growth because of CoinMarketCap taking over the um, main data repository. We only had the Bitcoin price. And that was a huge debate. Ethereum was live for a year and a half before we were even ready to put the price on the website. And it was through much debate, fighting, all kinds of stuff, right? Never do it, never do it. Um, At the time, I was on the team of don't add it, right? I was a total Bitcoin, we don't need it, da, da, da. Um, What I did after, so we had all these debates and, and went around. What I did after was I created a data tool that took Bitcoin as the measuring stick, exactly what I described about water earlier, right? We called it the Crypto Economics Explorer. What I really called it, the name got taken from me, just marketing or whatever, was market interest. I wanted to compete against market cap. And so what I did was I created a measuring tool on a Pentagon that took about 50 different data points. It took um, the exchange data, how many trade pairs existed, volume. It took social data compared across all different platforms. It took network data where like hash rate counted as as a positive thing, um, number of nodes, all that stuff. And then uh, developer data, everything on GitHub. And then what I did was I made Bitcoin the denominator 
for all other coins. Not just the coin, but the network itself. So you could actually start, so crypto economics is a real thing, right? Say what you want about uh, other coins. All crypto economics is it's economics as we know, it's all economics, it's choices. It's just a subcategory of engineering. It's a subcategory of networks growing. So Bitcoin proves crypto economics exist and is also the only way we have to measure whether or not it's real. So I created a tool at Coindesk, which got total buy-in, which got me in you know, enemy list number one with the Ethereum people, because mm-hmm. what I did was I created a measuring tool which showed none of it was none of it was real. <laughs> none of the other coins were real. If you put them against Bitcoin in any way, they might have a little spike in social a little spike in exchange, but they don't grow as healthy around uh, everywhere you want. So I always came at it from that point of view. I always did a lot of the programming that would focus on Bitcoin, but you're in a big media company and there's people who had different points of view and and it was all that stuff. And um, when they made the choice to uh, you know not use that tool anymore, and they just made a choice to go in the direction they were in, right? I said I would stay on as an advisor and help them craft Bitcoin narratives inside their show. And I also helped them at the time with a wallet. So I'm a big believer in using the tech, but not for uh, putting on an ICO. So I believed uh, Coindesk could be the biggest wallet in the industry, the biggest wallet in the industry, not for your savings. What I wanted to do was the original idea we had for NFTs was to distribute them as coupons for our sponsors. So you would get coupons, which would be NFTs, and you could sell them for Bitcoin or whatever you wanted. We didn't, it wasn't for us to determine. So um, what we focused on then was creating a wallet, which would allow people to um, avoid at the event physical swag. You get an NFT, you trade it for physical swag at the event, and, and it would be that kind of thing. It's now uh, turned into a coin, which I also helped create for Coindesk. Again, purposefully not going into any of what are shitcoins. We don't want to make money off it. We don't want to do anything. What I heard from years of being in Bitcoin, especially when people are being introduced to it, is they're worried about losing it. They're worried about this and that. I directed a lot of people to Dogecoin in the early days because it had a faucet. And I said, just lose it and figure out what it's like, and then you'll be fine. Um, and it's the same thing with an event. You've got to think about this early audience and all that stuff. So we created a coin, which was literally like, go to those sessions, you'll earn coins. And then you could trade it for drinks and swag and all this stuff. So I continue to have a big interest in all of this other stuff. But the way I mentally come like think about it is that it's just a subcategory of a subcategory. These are literally coupons. They're coupons, right? And because I come from an era um, where the white paper was, where the yellow paper for Ethereum was getting written like next to my thing, right? I asked Vitalik the straight question, like, well, who's going to mine this thing? Like, stupid. You know, who's going to come, right? <laughs> like, ridiculous. Uh, and he said, people are just going to come, right? Well, he was right, right? So you got to admit when you're wrong about that stuff, right? He was right. At the time, we didn't have that confusion in Bitcoin. But I'll say that from that point, um, I never really back down on that idea. And to this day, to this day, I still do things like um, I predicted Solana, for example, would become a major, major competitor because Bitcoin is not consumer technology. It's not consumer technology, right? Consumer technology is iPhone 11, 12, 13, faster, newer, da, da, da. Bitcoin proved that doesn't work. But Ethereum is still playing that game. So my argument is if you want probabilistic math, take it. 
you got it. Let, let's go. Let's go more. Right. If you want the Series Seven people who all are who are also going to be computer science engineers, I'll I'll one up you. I'll give you more of that. Right. Extra of that stuff, um, because ultimately, what I think of is Bitcoin provides you with a worldview. Everything else is a subcategory of a subcategory of a subcategory and not really the kind of thing you can develop a whole worldview off of. So when I do like consensus show, I'll use anything related to Bitcoin to talk about major world events, right? Uh, major frames you want to put on, on, on big ideas and all that stuff. And if I'm working on um, um, those other things like a coin, you know, it's to subordinate it. I, I would never take a conversation about Ethereum on the global stage seriously. I would never program that. I would never even pretend, right? So um, I don't do much of that content. And that's why I do more content now with Bitcoin Magazine and why I'm doing the Bitcoin 2023 show in Miami, May 18th to 20th, because I want to be able to focus on that alone. So I made that choice already openly years ago that the narratives, like unless we're talking about a coin that I can give to people who are new and they want to go and get a shirt to learn about a wallet, you know, and then one day go to Bitcoin. I, I think that's all great, right? I, I got no problems with any of that. Um, Barry, look, you know, at the time, like I said, Andreas didn't really, he had the market covered. <laughs> like I'm not going to copy Andreas, right? And I needed to make money. I had, I had to have a niche, right? So when he bought Coindesk from... Um, when he bought Coindesk from the UK and brought it to New York, I just got in touch with them immediately and went and started working with them. But I'll tell you, all those years, right? Barry would always say, "I don't get Ethereum. I don't. I don't get it." Like he still would say, "I don't. I don't understand." <laughs> like, I'm trying to get it. Like everyone's telling me it's great. I don't get it. Right now, he he does all kinds of stuff. It's not for me to say what he does with his money and what he, you know, uh, I don't. I, I worked at Coindesk. He gave me a lot of connections to uh, do media from the stock exchange. And he gave me all the New York Rolodex that I needed to go onto mainstream media and talk about Bitcoin. And it was never more than that. He never you know, sort of said, say this or say that, or it was never anything like that. Um, he never cared one minute about what, what we did or what we thought. When he did take more of a role um, in the company years later, uh, and by more of a role, it's not even really a role. He wanted to move the company's location uh, around the COVID time to a, a TV studio. And that was all stuff that I, you know, had to try to manage how it looked. Is it influence? Is it that? And that's kind of when I made the decision to just go to Kraken because I didn't need to be involved in anyone's, uh, you know, framing of, a, of an issue, of a thing when I didn't really understand it. And that was around the time that Bitcoin Magazine had made the choice to go full Bitcoin and, and do all that stuff. Now, in the case of Kraken, the reason I worked there is because of this bailment piece, right? As someone who came from a legal background, understanding how to hold Bitcoin in this legal envelope was very interesting to me. Um, you know, I was really lucky in the early Bitcoin days because I lived in Toronto and all the Blockstream people were around and the Ethereum people were around that I had like Andrew Polstra explain to me <laughs> why Ethereum was stupid in like 2015, right? Not everyone had the benefit of that stuff. So um, I was always able to see it in a way that not a lot of people had access to and, and was able to predict a lot. Even if I was wrong about Ethereum, uh, you know, I didn't think it would grow anywhere. 
So I got that totally wrong. But um, as far as knowing these people, you know, you know, I'll always say Vitalik, a gentle, gentle person, right? One of the most gentle people you'll ever meet. Uh, um, you know, uh, used to used to talk a lot about Bitcoin uh, when I knew him. Right? <laughs> he was a, a Bitcoin magazine writer back then. <laughs> And uh, yeah, so, you know, consensus, yeah, it's it's um, uh, definitely not the Bitcoin uh, focus that it once had, but they're in Texas now, right? They're, uh, they can't go and do ESG shows and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, we'll see how it goes. Uh, we'll see how it goes. But yeah, there's there's, I think not everyone understands that consumer tech argument yet. Right. That that there is there is such a thing as consumer tech, whatever this stuff is, whether it has commercial application, we still don't know. And it's been years. Right. It's still all just an experiment and whatever. But again, it's a subcategory of a subcategory. It's a real thing. Right. But you wouldn't think about your your worldview around it. You wouldn't think about wealth management around it. You wouldn't think about saving it, really. Right. And any confusion of that is missing the important lesson about bitcoin which is it's not consumer tech it is resistant to a new generation its value comes from how long it's been with us and that separates it from everything right it's the first we get confused because we hear technology and you think ah video games you know the new one's better that's not what's going on here everyone who's buying that other stuff is still on that train and it's a, that is real in a sense but again it's a subcategory of baseball cards or a subcategory of penny stocks or a subcategory of uh, whatever that stuff is, right? And it all fits into that over-financialized, um, saturated market of Wall Street and leverage and fiat and all that, right? <clears throat> but, you know, I like it like I like baseball cards, right? which is like a little bit, right? Uh, but it's not, it's not what you make your worldview out of, right? since 2013 my worldview is bitcoin mm -hmm. right that's it the, the, for me if you come from that generation i i understand people from from newer years that have to be much more skeptical it's a little scarier let's say right because the psyops are so clear but if you really came from those old days when you could ask vitalik like you think this scam is gonna work buddy <laughs> like i don't know like it just changes your perspective like at the time we were still so amazed that bitcoin even worked it was still this angelic, uh, bright, shining, uh, at least the contrast was, it's still like that, but it's not as obvious to everyone. It was the only thing running, especially after the 2014 crash, right? It was the only thing going. Ethereum hadn't even launched yet. So it, yeah. that was just, it was already done, right? And um, so it was it was a different time and a different way of, of thinking about it. So if you're from that era, I would say you, automatically understood bitcoin was so much different than everything else and i find other people have to learn it but i still believe here's what i actually think right i think that when you see these people on twitter these days you see these boomers right i had to put it on avax to get a thing and then i had to stake time and get it da, 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 da. they're committing financial crimes against an entire generation and i'm fucking here for it sorry i am here for it right because this transfer of wealth is not going to be from wills or anything like that it's not going to be that, right? It's going to be from uh, scams, right? I'm for growing the scam so big that it takes all of Wall Street down. I don't think Ethereum is a big enough scam yet. I've changed my mind on it. I say give it to them all. Give them all that stuff. 
I believe the SEC is unconstitutional and, and should be fought against entirely. They have no business telling anyone about ICO, whatever. I say run that ICO engine hot, get the DGENs out, get them going, right? Because what happens in the end? They all come to Bitcoin. It's, it's very difficult to explain Bitcoin, time preference, it's different. It's a world, you know, savings. It's not consumer tech. There's one, there's another way to learn. SBF taught people. SBF mm -hmm. is one of the greatest. We should build a statue to SBF. We should build a statue <laughs> to him. <laughs> like, no, honestly, because he forced so many people to learn the hard way, but the right way. And spreading financial literacy is not just, oh, here's some pixie dust and you're smart. I wish it was that way. I wish everyone learned that way, but they don't. Some people do, right? Other people have to learn uh, in the way Mike Tyson described, right? You have a plan. Everybody mm -hmm. has a plan until you get punched in the face. Everybody does. <laughs> so uh, I think it's important that people do learn. And And look, I'm not out there actively trying to scam anyone and get their money. That's not what I'm doing, right? I, I keep everything very simple. I'm a DCA. I'm not here for Wall Street. I'm here for my time preference. I'm here to keep good systems in place and do what it is that I do. Um, but that it's out there, I say run it hot. Let all those Wall Street people lose all their money on this stuff. All of it, right? SBF wasn't a big enough scam. We need a bigger one. We need, we need, we need Ethereum at its full capacity. Right. And just drive it right into Wall Street and then we'll see what happens. Right. Uh, because that's what it's headed for anyway. It's headed for that anyway. So what better way to teach them? Right. <laughs> I can't think of a better way. And mean... it's not. And, and remember, it's not the plebs who lost against FTX. Mm -hmm. It's not them. No, none of the people who watch this show were out there saying I got money on FTX. Right. No one who's coming to the Bitcoin magazine conference lost money on FTX. We're not we, we, we don't deal with these things. Right? This, this doesn't change anything to Bitcoin. Nothing changed. It creates a public perception, but again, it's contrast, right? In the depths of the 2019 uh, bear market, remember what happened? Around the same time, you had Facebook launch its thing, right? Mm -hmm. And they called everyone into Congress and what ended up happening? That's where shitcoin, the word was popularized, legitimized, uh, spread throughout the land because the contrast Bitcoin made to the shitcoin that Facebook was offering was so appealing and easy to understand to everyone watching that we came out great. I mean, just great. And the same thing will happen again and again and again. So I'm not here to stop uh, any of this stuff and I'm not going to moralize anyone. I think everyone has to learn. And I wish people would learn by watching your show and the nice, honest, easy way and just be good and everyone's great. But uh, unfortunately, some people uh, don't learn that way. And I think that getting scammed by these things at least once, I'm, I don't wish it on anyone. Again, I'm not hoping anyone gets that. But the benefits are clear almost every time that the washout always comes back to Bitcoin and people start to understand what Bitcoin actually is when they see the 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 fake versions of it fail and and bitcoin can only be be perceived in contrast to the fake versions of it right mm -hmm. it's it's true brilliance isn't clear unless you see how dark fiat and crypto are right it, it's not it's not obvious to everyone again you can get lucky you can you can be like 
you know, you can't have a time machine, but if you go back to the time when only Bitcoin was running and you saw it and you understood the miracle that was before your eyes. Um, and then that's why I even asked the question to Vitalik, like, who's going to, who's showing up for this dude? Like, Jesus Christ, you know, but he was right. People showed up. Right? Do you wonder, know. do you wonder that, is it inevitable that Vitalik ends up being arrested? Vitalik arrested? I don't think so. Maybe. Um I, I, I would hope that our state efficiency isn't high enough by the time that thing crashes, right? My prediction is it crashes, the whole thing comes down, but the capacity for the same actors to be involved in the future in enforcement and adjudication is, I don't really see it, right? I think we're turning everything bottom up. And my prediction is basically we're going to trade in the government in America and Europe. You're going to trade the government for UBI to the people who want it. It's going to be a swap, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to get policy dollars, right? Um, basically, everything the Fed asked for, they're going to get. You know, you be careful. You, you get what you asked for in this world. They tricked out the numbers to make candy bar prices the measurement of inflation. In the end, it's just going to be food stamps. They're going to turn the money into food stamps. It's not going to be money. It's going to be policy money, literally political dollars. And they won't be able to fund the bureaucracy, which was a holdover from World War II. They're going to use it to just pay for people. And, and people will want it. They'll take it. It'll be great, right? That's what they want. They can do it. I, I'm not going to stop them. Um, I used to think it was super vital to stop it from, from everyone and protect everyone. This thing's moving too quick. We don't have time. It's, it's like help Bitcoin take over for the people who want wealth and, and entrepreneurship and all that. And we just have to focus on that because, you know, that that's what keeps me up at night is Bitcoin ready to take on the weight of the global financial system. Are, are we, are we there? Right. I'm more worried about that right now than I am about what someone who can't wait to get their sixth COVID shot uh, thinks about crypto. Right. I, I don't have time. <laughs> like I just yeah. don't like and and one one last thing on on Barry, do, do you do you have any kind of predictions on whether or not GBTC is still going to be around in the next foreseeable? Yeah, my, so I mean, I I ask people over there. Um, you know, it's probably the worst place to get the information because they're so close to it. Um, and even in my own world i've known barry for so long now and um always just think of him as so smart i'm so used to going oh shit was he right you know fuck was that crazy like you know even even the like that 2019 period that i'm talking about that was the last time i spent a bit of time with him and that was just before i went to kraken just before covid and and just at the end of my you know time let's say as an everyday coindesker um, part of the of the team, part of the leadership, and all that stuff. Um, he gave a town hall talk around now, Christmas time, twenty nineteen, and said, "Guys, you know, um, everything we've done until now, this was the good time. This was the time you'll remember your whole life when Bitcoin was fun, and we were just like people who had winning lottery tickets in our pocket." And we didn't have to tell anyone and we didn't have to cash it in. And we knew we were, we made it and no one bugged us and we had fun. And this is just before COVID, right? And he's predicting right there, that's over. 
we are about to influence the top rings of power and they're not going to go quietly. They're going to fight back hard and trouble is ahead. And I'll, I'll always remember he's prepared for the type of trouble and mentally knew that what he's doing would bring him to difficult times. And all I can tell you is that from all those years that I was with him, he told me regularly that he had given his whole life and crew to Bitcoin. Now, it might not come in the manifestations and this and that and how the VC is doing and whatever, but those were the words he used. Now, does he measure his worth and net worth and wealth in Bitcoin? I don't think so. I don't think he's gone quite as far as a pleb or other people. Um, you know, he has the same trappings of fiat wealth around him. But I know what he said to me, and I, I'm not trying to um, uh, excuse why people complain about him. I get why people complain about him. I, I see it, right? It's, there's, there's no way I can't acknowledge the negative effects of GBDC and, and all that. And it used to be positive as a way to give access to the asset class, probably run its course, right? Probably run its course of usefulness. It's probably a net negative on Bitcoin now. Um, but as far as someone who predicted the world we're in, you know, he did. And, and I always believe that if you make predictions and they come true, what it means is your worldview at the time was accurate enough to assess your surroundings and, and imagine what would happen. And he's been really good at that. So I don't know the details of everything at all. I just know that he knew these times would be as they are, that nothing was going to be easy and that he's here for the revolution. So that, that's as much as I know. Right. Uh, I, I can't mind read him after that. And I, I can't know other than what he's told me and, and what he spends his day doing. Right. And I've been on retreats with him and I've been on all kinds of stuff. And what I see is someone who's sincere, right? Sincere. Mm -hmm. um, sincerity is, is definitely there. The biggest worry, I guess, is there, there is a lot of people's money tied up in, in that fund. GBTC is Grayscale Bitcoin Trust for, for those people that wondered uh, what we were talking about. Um, and in the US, you can switch your savings, right? Your 401k, I believe it's called. And you can put it into uh, GBTC. So there's a lot of money tied up in that, which paper paper Bitcoin is what it's known as in the uh, in the space. Yeah, and, and that's what a lot of people are worried about. Like if this thing goes down, does that, well, to your point earlier, is that the lesson people need? to um, self-custody Bitcoin, you know? It's... I think it's part of it. I think it's part of it. Um, in his case, you know, I hear everyone making the calculations and all that. For me, you got to understand as well, reputationally, reputationally, he is one of those New Yorkers and there's no way he's letting his name go through those proceedings. He's made enough cash, right? That forget about balance sheet, him personally, I believe he would start spending in order to make people whole and all that whole. He didn't do any SBF stuff. I, I know that for a fact, right? Now, whatever happened on the balance sheet with Genesis, and I, I don't know. I, I don't know the details. It looks like a big hole. But I know all these years, he personally has made money. And I believe he would do that, which hasn't even been discussed because we don't know, right? Mm -hmm. We don't know privately how rich he is. I, I don't even know, right? Um, but I know he's made a lot of money in the past couple of years <laughs> and could easily uh, and would to protect his reputation, spend whatever is needed in order to get the company right and do what he wants to do. You know, he's here for legacy stuff, right? You got to realize that 
any one of these guys, the Winklevi, um, you know, I worked with Jesse Powell at Kraken, right? You know, I knew SBF was done the minute he started doing the deals with the consumer protection CFTC thing. And the reason I knew he was done is because I knew people like Jesse and people like CZ and people like um, Barry who are rich enough. They're not here to be a little richer. They knew what he was doing and were going to kill him. I don't mean really, mm-hmm. but I mean, they were going to destroy his company. I knew it. I, I was sure. I told Coindesk, the, the people that day, I said, prepare because this is over, right? It's He's not going to make it. This is way before. This is early October where I'm predicting he's done. They're going to destroy him because there's no way he's getting away with this, right? No way he's getting away with it. Um, <clears throat> it was so blatant and against their their interests. Um, they're here for what we're here for. They don't want... Um, and I don't, I don't think Barry wants to keep Wall Street going. He's the youngest Series Seven license holder, I think, ever or something, right? He was like seventeen or something when he got a Series Seven. Um, I don't think he wants everyone to have his life. He, I don't think he likes what uh, all that stuff was. Right? I think he totally is one of the people who gets it on that level. Um, now, uh, I mean, he likes Wall Street as it is for him today, and and but that's all in Bitcoin's favor in the sense that I, I do believe he would spend his own money to keep his reputation intact, to keep his name on the board, to keep playing the game of getting your name in the history books as part of this huge thing we're doing, right? Because that's how they see it. I mean, he, he's he's here for, now, people are corruptible. I, you know, if you say, well, I'm not going to make it, I could walk away with a little bit of money and be, you know, maybe, I, I don't know, you know. But from where I sit, I think he would burn his last dollar to stay in the game interesting to make what he wants to happen happen yeah that, that's the person i know that's the person i know but what what's your spidey senses on binance well cz i think is the opposite again of um ftx so i i had to look at ftx as one of my things at kraken i was in strategy we reported to jesse and the ceo and you know we had to market size a lot and competitor size and at the time ftx was just coming up now, I was paying close attention to their uh, political um, betting market. They created this betting market, right? And yeah, they made the, the, the election prediction market. Okay. And this was in 2020, right? So I'm at Kraken. And as someone who understands media data points, you got to understand that the, the, the exchanges see themselves as media companies as well, right? Because Binance's website is one of the most trafficked in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they, they do definitely want to get more into content and all that stuff. So what I noticed was in the summer of 2020, the elections were going to be hung in America. It was pretty clear to everyone. We were not going to get a fair election in 2020 because we were getting mailed so many ballots and COVID and everybody knew it was fishy, right? Everyone was talking about it. It's fishy. Something's up. And I said um, to the Kraken folks, look what FTX has built. This thing is going to be money in the week after the election because they're going to refer to it all the time, right? Just like, you know, Coindesk had the Bitcoin price and then you had to use us in a sentence, you know, uh, the Bitcoin price is da 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 right? Um, so what I thought at the time was we can use this election market in order to be a major data point in the fallout of the 2020 election. If it's hung, they're going to report on this website, right? The traffic and whatever, because it's better than a pundit, right? Um, we didn't build it, but just as I predicted, the election was hung 
And what ended up happening? Miraculously, FTX's brand got shipped all around the world in the week after the election, all around the world. And then everyone cited it. Oh, um, unsentimental people with nothing, no skin in the game. Uh, choose a, you know, they they think Biden is going to win, and it became cognitive closure. Everyone, everyone cited it, right? Everybody cited it, and so um, I said, "This is this is this is," and then I knew he was the biggest Biden donor, and I was I was I thought I was crazy. I was like, "This is a scam." There was a million dollar volume on the trade book for this whole prediction market, and he gave three and a half million donations. Are you telling me it's not worth? 500 grand to tip the scale with and all you got to do is use a wallet to put up a position and you're done and that and if you remember in the first days it did lean trump and then all of a sudden boom it went biden and oh look at the look at the wall street people they don't care they don't care they just want to make money they don't care so all this to say about cz and this and that my right from the start sbf seemed like a scammer like the minute you saw him right it just gave mm-hmm. you the scam feeling Yep. If you compare him and contrast him to CZ, who I've met a bunch of times, he's just a gentleman. Now, I don't know what's going on internally, right? I don't know what's going on internally. But when I would market size and competitor size FTX, I didn't know where their clients were coming from. To this day, I don't, I mean, their clients were hedge funds and rich people. Who lost money? Do you know anyone who lost money other than a couple of these big institutional players that parked their crypto with him? I don't know anyone. I, I still haven't met a person. And it was true back then. There wasn't a lot of volume on the site. There wasn't a lot of users. We see that stuff. We can see the the the, the size of the trades, who's participating, right? We want to see the profile of the traders on every platform. Binance had everything, right? I mean, they're just fat in every category, fat mm-hmm. in every way they could be. Even their chain they built, the Binance Smart Chain, you know, I used to always promote it because it was like the ETH killer. I was like, this is before I picked up Solana as an ETH killer. I was like, this is even faster. This is even more performant. Look at this thing go, right? Look at it go. And so even internally, I said, like, this is a pretty interesting thing. They can do lots of stuff because they run this chain of theirs. And, um, you know, so I don't know anything else other than I've met CZ a bunch of times he's a gentleman. He's, he's like the most polite old fashioned kind of guy you'll ever meet. Like the first time I met him, uh, well, I'd known him before, but the first time I met him with Binance, I was complaining that I lost my, cause I, I pulled out all my Bitcoin cash that summer and I, I played on Binance with it. That, that first summer it came out, I just wanted to screw around with free money and in the summer of 17. So that's how I introduced myself to Binance. And then I forgot about it. I lost it. You know, I, I was going back into Bitcoin and there was a bunch there and I was like, shit, you know, like I didn't really use Binance and just didn't pay attention. So much stuff going on in the 2017 run. And so I see CZ the next year and I'm just like, hey, man, I lost that wallet. What the hell happened, man? And he like totally gets someone to help you fix it and, you know, just didn't need to do any of that stuff. Now, I'm not saying that Nate, that clears him of any suspicion or anything like that. I'm just telling you about vibes and what I felt and and the times I've interviewed him and what he thinks and as far as what he tells you he thinks. And um, look, he, I, like I said, I don't think he cared about whatever money he lost on on SBF. He was there to kill him, destroy him. It didn't matter how much because of what he was doing. Like he said, the things he was saying publicly, SBF, were much worse in private. And I had heard some of the stuff and and. I was ready, you know, I, I arranged a whole thing for Arthur Hayes at Coindesk for him to start doing a show 
literally because I said already in the summer, I said, we, we got to find someone to get SBF out of there. And I know Arthur's motivated to do it. So I got in touch with Arthur this summer. And I said, I'm going to help you. We're going to get your you know profile up and we're going to take this guy out because it's it's not good, right? Um, you know, and, and by take him out, I just mean like we're gonna we're gonna have more compelling arguments and and uh, than whatever it is he's selling. I didn't know I had no idea any of this stuff was going to happen, right? I, I was very much interested in in having more, you know, I'm, Arthur Hayes's articles that he writes on his website are some of the most interesting writing in the whole industry, and uh, you know, SBF has never even attempted to do anything remotely as interesting as that. No, he hasn't. Man, all right, what a rip. We've been going for two hours, so I've got to ask you the last question, the final question. If you had just one last orange pill to give to somebody, who would you give it to and why? Hmm. Yeah, I would give it to Scott Adams. Um, okay. In a, yeah, in a second. He's the Dilbert uh, guy, right? Is, pardon me? The Dilbert guy, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the Dilbert guy. Um think he's the most uh powerful persuader in the world uh you don't even realize the amount of things that exist in our world now because he just launches it out there um the idea of a talent stack you ever heard of that no no basically you know a sum of all parts you know you have a talent you add another you add another you add another um suddenly the combination of skills make you very special mm-hmm. right? Okay. You might be only a little bit good in this and a little bit good in that and a little bit good in that. But if you put those three together, you can actually um, be special as far as talents and and and, and all that stuff. So it's one frame. Uh, systems over goals. He invented that whole frame that, that goals are for idiots and losers and, and systems are uh, the right way to organize your life. My show, which I call The Breakup uh, mm-hmm. because I want to compare and contrast you know, I think the economy is just a psychological engine. There's there's no math. There's no Keynesian anything. There's no such thing as an economist. It's all fake, right? <laughs> uh, um, but the the uh, ability to have and understand the economy as the psychological engine, I stole that from him. I mean, that's how he describes it. But he doesn't understand Bitcoin. He has Bitcoin and all that stuff. He's neighbors with Balaji and Naval Ravikant, and everyone's told them. And he tells people to buy Bitcoin, but he hasn't been orange pilled. He doesn't understand what it actually means. He still is at the level of this could probably work. He still, I think, believes it could even take over, but he just hasn't had that moment where he uses it to focus on every issue in the world. Um, but as far as just being able to explain the world to you, and therefore take those skills. I, I believe he killed ESG. I think he killed ESG. It's him. Yeah. He's been out there using Dilbert as a cartoon to attack ESG. And in the same time as Dilbert's been attacking ESG, uh, suddenly you see it falling apart all around the world. Um, so yeah, he would probably be the person that I would use it on uh, just because you'd be getting the game remains persuasion. So all I'm interested in is more persuaders and not the persuaders we're used to seeing. Oh, I'm really rich. Copy me. Right. Oh, I'm really popular. Copy me. Um, his stuff, you know, so he's a hypnotist, right? His real skill is hypnotist. He, he was a hypnotist. He worked for normal companies before mm-hmm. he understands corporate rot better than anyone. Right. Yep. 
Um, and and it's it's really that model that Bitcoin's attacking. The idea that there is corporate rot and disincentivized corporate players and the idea, like any company, just imagining everyone in a company like in a boat and rowing together in the same way is is humorous. Like like imagining that's how companies work, right? They actually like get together and and they don't, none of them do. Like if you went to the C-suite and Apple today, they'd all be fighting. They'd all be saying, what do we, what it used to be better when Steve Jobs was here. We don't make any good products anymore, right? That, that's probably what's happening in the most famous company in the world today. And the reason is, of course, dollars, incentives, motivation, all obfuscated by the system that we have. And um, he's one of the people who's pointed that out first and is so entrenched in dollar incentivized systems collapsing and failing that if he was able to put Bitcoin into his worldview, we would have one of the most important persuaders immediately. Uh, you know, uh, I still think, you know, people people are going to say it's it's nuts, but I still think that Ye um, is going to be politically super relevant in America. Hmm. Um, I think he can win. I think he can win. Uh, maybe not this time, but next time. Um, but maybe even this time. You know, of course, he knew what he was saying to get in trouble, just as he would know what to say to get out of trouble. Right? And he's not hmm. saying it. Um, he's here, I think, to flip the apple cart. Right, completely flip the apple cart, and he is one of those people that can help bend reality completely, and and so anyone who can do that is who I'm interested in getting on board because that's what's required. We're, that's that's why this thing where we go like step by step and we like negotiate with Wall Street and then we win. Nope, <laughs> that's not how it's going to happen. The transfer of wealth is not going to be pretty. It's chaos, right? We're we are going to destroy wall street before we take their money we're going to destroy it and uh it's going to be ugly right? it's going to be ugly so um there's only so many people that can make that okay <laughs> and scott adams and kanye west and a few of these others i would say are uh you know yeah, there you go interesting times ahead man very interesting times ahead i did was he like a, a weird covid shill scott adams i remember seeing some strange uh, stuff so no not a covid shill i'd say um andrew tate uh labeled him as a covid um i guess covid shill. i don't know about COVID shill. he uh wasn't anti-vax enough i'd say right. is the way to describe <laughs> you know wasn't anti-vax yeah. enough I don't think I never. I mean, I watch his show every day. I never heard him uh, okay. promote any of it once. Um, uh, nor was he ever like a, a lockdowner. He might have said it's coming. You know, he might have said Vax passports are coming. Right. Um, but uh, he never promoted it or anything like that. You know. Yeah. It seems so long ago all that shit was going on, but it was still only just yesterday. And still, those people that need to be in prison walk free. It's just so annoying. Uh, all right, man. Well, how can people come and find you and interact well, and uh, watch your show and reach out and, and all of that good stuff? So on Twitter, I'm CountBTC. Uh, that's Count, right? Because we like to count Bitcoin and <laughs> like that royal 
uh, designation in my book. You know, the counts are the big deal. So count BTC. Uh, and I go every day on YouTube. That's every day, seven days a week, uh, 8 a.m. Uh, we do about 40 minutes. We do a whiteboard. It's conversational, right? It's me, daily news, Bitcoin filter, talk about clown world, talk about how it relates to Bitcoin, talk a lot about energy, talk a lot about corruption, talk a lot about these uh, systems that are so filled with entropy. We can't expect anything out of them. Healthcare, right? Mm -hmm. um, can't. You know, my, my stance at the start of COVID was not to get angry about anything because I expected nothing but pure clown world. Like I, 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 did, I expected <laughs> nothing correct. So that's why I flaunted the rules and did whatever I felt like from day one as a true Bitcoiner ought to have during COVID, right? The whole point was to break as many rules as I could every day, all the time, not comply to anything as a game, right? I never got angry about it. I never, never got mad. Um, and you know, I'd say even Scott Adams was a person who helped me do that. He, his, his strategy was the same. Just basically don't expect anything of these fools mm -hmm. and, and don't hold yourself to making them happy in any way. Just do whatever you want to do. That's within reason, you know, and, um, you're free. Mm -hmm. So, uh, that's the kind of stuff Bitcoiners need to get, uh, to embrace. And that's the kind of stuff we talk about on my show every day, right? It's, uh, it's what stories are important, what psychological warfare is being armed at you, how do you protect yourself against the psychological warfare, because World War III is, so in my show, we are in World War III. We have never mm -hmm. left this, the context of being deep in World War III. And World War III in, in, on my show is an economic and psychological war. And that's why Bitcoin, we're D-Day in my show. Every day I talk about how we're D-Day and you know, so that even that, that, that's another point about the crypto people, right, that I'll defend them for. I do believe when we do take down one of these countries, when Bitcoin takes down a country, these crypto degens are going to come and get our back, right? They've been screwed by these countries. Uh, they've been screwed by this fiat system, but they've learned the tricks from crypto. They know how to short, right? They know all these degen skills that weren't popularized a little while ago. And now it's important that we have the DCA plebs. They're what make it all possible but that there are degens out there lurking with nothing to lose, just complete nihilists, complete <laughs> crazy people. They'll come to that fight, right? They will come. <laughs> uh, I don't know in what numbers, but I think they're going to show up and they're going to help us short the system and, and eventually we'll all be Bitcoiners. So it's a bit like the Gollum story. You know, you, you had pity on Gollum and in the end he had a good role. It wasn't for letting him live and not hating on him and all the rest. We wouldn't have destroyed the ring and we wouldn't have got rid of the all-seeing eye. Um, you know, they're a little bit like that. Their, their story isn't, isn't, un, isn't done yet. And, and I think they can be uh, the degen crazy people at the last minute who just ape <laughs> into some stupid trade to knock a country out. <laughs> Love it. All right, man. Well, thanks for, um, thanks for coming on. Great rip. Nice to meet yeah. you. Yeah. Awesome, man. Yeah. So fun. Yeah. So fun. Hey guys. Hope you enjoyed that rip with Nolan. I love finding new plebs. New to me. Nolan was new to me. I had not come across him before. So to find someone else out there as passionate and as, you know, driven as Nolan, enthusiastic, I think that's the word he used to describe himself at the beginning. I'm sure you can feel those positive vibes coming from him. If you want to reach out to him, just hit him up on Twitter. Go check out his YouTube. He's got a ton of information. 
if you are thinking about pulling a stunt like Nolan, like, you know, living with one foot across each of those borders, that's a very interesting prospect. Very interesting deed. Give him a shout. This is what he's looking to do, looking to help plebs. And uh, I can't wait for that Nakamoto trail, whatever we call it, the um, <laughs> the I-21 or the 21M. Uh, yeah, so fun just going through these kind of ideas and, uh, and what's going to play out in the future. Please make sure you are stacking safe, guys. If you've not got your Bitcoin into self-custody, Nolan, I'm sure, would agree with everything I'm about to say. That's the most important part of your stacking journey. Of course, you've got to stack sats first, so you can use, you know, find that place that you can stack sats that makes you comfortable. The companies that support this show are Bitcoin-only companies, so you can contact them and ask them any questions you can and any questions you need answered. Uh, you can get hold of Relay, get hold of Swan, get hold of Coin Corner, or even Hoddle Hoddle. They've all got great support. Make sure you're asking questions. There are no dumb questions in Bitcoin. Take care of your stack. Consider coin joining. Uh, wallet, uh, wasabiwallet.io is very simple, very quick to use. It's all done for you. And then please, like I said, make sure you're taking control. Get those coins off of the exchanges. 100%, please do that. That is, This is not a drill. Take control of your coins. Get them onto a hardware device um, or a signing device. Uh, not your keys, not your coins. Shiftcrypto.ch forward slash Bitten. Use the code Bitten to get a 5% discount from the Bitbox 2 Download Orange Pill app. Have a play around with it. Android is coming soon. Meet plebs in your local jurisdiction in real life. Start your own meetups. Start orange pilling more people in your community. You can also get across to a conference. BTC Prague and Bitcoin Miami are going to be two big events this year in 2023 and you can get discount using the code bitten at checkout bitten is generally your code for all discounts from plebs that are offering you discounts people such as shamari uh you know they've got great kids books and a brilliant card game consensus network all of all of the books they're trying to transform all of the books into all of the languages go and support your plebs the pleb initiatives are so important. You can find all of these initiatives on my link tree. Again, just hit the link in the show notes and then use the codes or hit those links and it will take you direct to those places that are offering you discounts. I'll catch you on the next show, guys. Thanks always for listening.